0: Good to be back, Baruch Hashem. The uh, last year that we had here was a very big hit, Baruch Hashem. I think it was the, about the year of love. I think it was that or was that after? We also had another one before. After it. I think it was about the year of love. I know it was a uh, several thousand people were very uh, excited about it. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of new information about, uh, unfortunately, sometimes the enemy is us. Uh, so, a lot of Nuhi Yidushim, Baruch Hashem Today, obviously, we continue the uh Pekia series, number 54 We did something new over the last couple of shiurim uh, One in New York and one last night That a lot of people enjoyed So, Bezot Hashem, we'll try it again Which is to ask questions in the beginning of the shiur And show how this exact Mishnah Answers your questions. Doesn't matter which Mishnah it is. It's all from Hashem, and Torah connects to everything. So one of the uh, main points that uh, truly impressed me when I first started doing Tuvah is that you could literally find any answer, all answers, all knowledge, anything that's any good, anything that's any has any value in this world, in the Torah. But it's not like you could find uh, something valuable in a treasure chest where it's just money. Here we're talking about you could literally find the answer to any of your problems in any part of the Torah if you dig deep uh, deep enough. So, for example, the last couple of shiwi, I uh, I asked the crowd to ask their questions ahead of the shuim, whatever their questions are, on the spot, and bezot uh, Hashem see if we could actually use this Mishnah to answer the question. It doesn't matter if the question is about parshach Chagua or it's about uh, life, marriage, children, whatever, whatever question you have, if Hashem gives us the words to say, then He has no limits. So we did it in the last couple of Shulim, and a lot of people liked it, because number one, it uh, helps the crowd be interactive, you know, be involved in the shiur, And two, you really see the beauty of the talk. Because if you just if I just read a book to you, then you can say, oh, I'll just read the book on my own, and uh, save myself two hours. But uh, when you see how deep the Torah is and how you can get to real answers, applicable answers in your life, you see that this is something I need to invest in. This is something I need to invest a lot of time in and uh, because this is something that's magical. It's beyond the norm. So without Hashem, we'll try it again. Uh, so think of questions while I do the Mishadach, uh, uh, the Refua uh, Shedema. Uh, first, it's Refua dema to the Tinok Ben Sarah. Uh, today was born a, a baby boy Baruch Hashem But uh, the baby boy has uh, some breathing problems So Bezad Hashem He has Refua lema, Refua Nefesh Nefes Refua And becomes a big tzaddik, Big Talmid Chacham Like his father Bezad Hashem Also Refua lema To Miche, uh, uh, Michael Okoto uh, Amparo Balufay Reuven Joseph Ben Rivka Sarah Lea Batzara Gladys Nunez Ediman Guerrero uh, Josefina Matos, Esperanza Avila, uh, Rachel and Monty Sandler, Lourdes de Joshua Michael Ben-Hadasa, Nancy Devesa, Patricia Valmana, Michelle Valmana, Sonia Suarez, Nicole Valmana, Augustin Hernandez, Jorge Hernandez, Isabel Betancourt, uh, Liliana Ante Bonilla, Gilberto Mene- uh, Meneses, Jacqueline, Rojas, Roger Prado, uh, Yedaya Garcia, Pablo Lorenzo, Miriam Batsara, uh, Rabbi Alon Ben Annette Miyam, Jocelyn Morrigon, Morigon, uh, Adas Vasquez, uh, enid Vasquez, Suncha Suncha, Suncha Vasquez, uh, Cantor Bob Resnick, Sarah Gutierrez, Diego Hernandez, Lidia Hariz, and Jacqueline Rojas. There's other Shem, they'll have reforz, nema, reforz, nefesh, reforz, aguf. Also, Dois but Zohar, and David, ben Mitzria. And and uh, Levana, bat Sarah. there's other Shem, we'll have reforz, nefesh, reforz, aguf. And uh, also, Sarah, bat Anat. All of them will have reforz, reforz, nefesh, reforz, aguf. I see the list is getting longer, but there's some new names. So it's good. The old ones got healthy, Bo Hashem. But uh, unfortunately, we have uh, new ones. Am Yisrael has a lot of suffering throughout all the generations. If you look at the history of Am Yisrael, there's practically almost never been, almost never been a generation without tragedy, a generation without suffering. But not just suffering that's from the outside, even from the inside. Sometimes it comes from The uh, attacks from the Goim, where the Greeks tried to destroy Judaism. They weren't really interested in killing the Jews. They were just more interested in killing Judaism. Or the Romans that tried to kill both. Or the Nazis. Or the Turks. Or the Spaniards. Or, uh, you know, many, many other places. Now we obviously have the Arabs are trying to do a lot of things. At certain parts of the world, the Christians are trying to do certain things. Amish has always had wars with the Goim. But at the same token, Avista has always had wars with itself. There's always been issues within us, and sometimes the issues within us have been a bigger issue than the issues we have with the goyim. Now, the main issue, the main thing that leads us to have problems, is that it is a difference of opinion of how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed, to, what's the purpose of life, how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to, you're supposed to connect to Hashem. Some people believe that you're supposed to just live and let live mentality where I do whatever I want, you do whatever you want and good luck to you. Some people believe what it says in the Torah, which is if you're already going to call yourself a Jew, then you have to fall into the definition of what is a Jew. And this is a very big debate that really should be over in two minutes. It's a big debate for generation after generation, especially right now, I think there's some big article, big... uh, Debate in the news about it, who's a Jew, who's not a Jew in the Jewish world, obviously. But the reality of it is that the debate ends within a matter of seconds. First and foremost, you have to understand when was the first time there was somebody called a Jew? When was Judaism Judaism created? Judaism was created in Mount Sinai. Before Mount Sinai, there was no Judaism. We we're called Israelites. So, first and foremost, we know that before Mount Sinai, there was no Judaism. Second thing is, once we arrive at, at Mount Sinai, something changed that made us Jews. And that thing that changed is called the Torah. We received the Torah. The written Torah, the oral Torah, and the Ten Commandments. Which in essence, logically, everyone understands that what changed here, what made us Jews, is the Torah. Which means that anyone that wants to accept the Torah completely can become a Jew. So anyone that let's for example was born into a non-jewish house wants to become a jew they can become a jew if they want they have to they have to follow the laws of how to convert they have to go to a beddin a kosher beddin and make sure that they do everything they need to do in order to live a jewish life on the other hand if somebody's parents were jewish and they are not following the law technically the person is jewish because their parents are jewish you know the mother is jewish then the boy is jewish or the girl is jewish but in Shamaim they tell you that when you are following the law, you still have that ticket that Hashem gave us in Mount Sinai, still works. But when you don't follow the law, when you disobey the law, when you drive on Shabbat, when you smoke cigarettes on Shabbat, when you violate major laws in the Torah, then what happens is that you put your Judaism on suspension. So meaning the person is still technically Jewish because their mother is Jewish, biologically they're Jewish, uh, spiritually they're Jewish, but when they, if they die at that moment or the Mashiach arrives at that moment, the Mashiach is going to judge them as a Jewish idol worshiper, not as a righteous Jew. Even if they gave a lot of tzedakah, even if they're very nice people, even if they're wonderful, even if they know a lot of Torah, if they violate Shabbat, if they violate one of the major principles of faith, then Hashem judges them as a Jew with Judaism on suspension. But not Judaism on suspension where it's like, it's not a big deal. Judaism on suspension to such an extent that they're considered on the same level as one of these people that's worshipping Buddha, or one of these people that's worshipping the cross, or any other form of idol worship that's out there. So when a Jew wants to be Jewish so much, the very simple answer that should take 30 seconds is, okay, are you willing to do what it takes to be a Jew? But what does it take to be a Jew? Follow the Torah. Which part of it? All of it. Because anytime Hashem mentions the Torah and the rules that He gave us, He never says, follow whatever you like. He always makes sure to mention, follow the entire Torah. The whole thing. Follow the whole thing. Not just what you like or you don't like, meaning anything that you can do. So for example, right now, we can't do Korbanot because we don't have Betu Mikdash. So you can't follow that rule, not because you don't want to. If the Betu Mikdash was here, we'd have to do Korbanot. But since the Betu Mikdash is not here, we can't do Korbanot. And many other things that we used to do in the, uh, the Betu Mikdash, we can't do. So it's not that we don't want to do it and we're not following the entire Torah. It's that we're considered Anusim. Meaning, it's beyond our ability. So Hashem is taking something else to replace that koban, which is our prayer. That's what He told the prophet, Prophet Haggai. He said that uh, the uh, the bulls are going to replace your the words that are coming the, the the words coming out of your lips will replace the bulls. Meaning that your prayer is going to replace the sacrifices, the uh, the kobanot. So. Anyone that is arguing, am I a Jew, am I not a Jew? People are trying to argue, maybe you can prove uh, Judaism by DNA. We answered this question last night. Someone asked about whether you can prove somebody's Judaism by their DNA. And the problem is that based on halacha, you can't. And one of the main simple reasons is that just like there are companies that will give you a breakdown of your DNA, there is at least one company in the world based out of Israel that can take that report, can take that DNA, and change it. So whatever your DNA is naturally, they can change your DNA. Which means that DNA is not a reliable source of information uh, when it comes down to Judaism. And really for that matter, uh, if the criminals get a hold of this, uh, of this type of technology, which mo- most likely they will at some point... It won't be reliable for use of court, civil court either.
1: It's, it's not changeable. It's
0: not like that, no, exactly. You can actually change it. It's a known science that you can change DNA. So, as far as Judaism is concerned, you want to be Jewish, you follow the Torah, because that's the only thing that makes you Jewish. You don't follow. The, you don't follow the Torah. Your mom may be Jewish, but unfortunately, in Shemaim you're considered an idol worshiper. So, this is something that's critical. So, what's the battle about? So, everyone knew everything I just said. This is nothing. Not a chidush. What is the chidush? The chidush is, how do you get people to to do this? How do you get people to agree to follow this law? Now, the strategy since Moshe Rabbeinu's time has always been to tell the truth. Hashem's signature is emet. Emet means truth. That's his signature. So the strategy has always been emet, and to teach the emet. But at somewhere along the line, especially about three or four hundred years ago, the way we deliver the emet changed. Where rebuking was removed from the equation, at least to a large extent, and telling the full truth as it's supposed to be said was no longer a way of doing it. People tried sugarcoating things, and this has obviously gotten much, much worse in our generation, in the last couple of generations, to such an extent that many people that are in the secular world, that are not educated in the Torah, think that the Torah is an elective. Think that the Torah is, a, is up to you. You want to follow it? Follow it. You don't want to follow it? No big deal. The reality is, is that once you actually study the Torah and you hear the words of Hashem Bach Himself, you see that Hashem has quite a different opinion. Hashem did not say if you want to follow the Torah, it's no problem. If you don't follow the Torah, it's no problem. It's quite the opposite. He says if you follow the Torah, good. If you don't follow the Torah, you're considered dead to me. A Rasha, which is someone that doesn't follow the Torah, Hashem says they're considered dead even during their life. Even during the time of their life here, but in Hashem's eyes, they're considered dead. And the reason why is because it says there, there are time here for this piece of meat. That's, uh, that's living in this world is temporary. Mm-hmm. It's going to end. The eternity that I have set up for them is no longer the same. So, today we'll continue learning our Musar series of how to get to this truth. What is the truth, Bemit? What does Hashem say? What does he want from us? Um, what's What's the missing ingredient? From a lot of the speeches that we hear, a lot of the uh, you know teachings that we have in the world today, why is it that Am Yisrael is so secular to such an extent that when they did a recent study, they said that the the uh, actual um, country of Israel and the Jews in Israel, unfortunately, are considered the most secular people in the world, which is the strangest thing in the world to say about the nation of the book, the nation of the Torah. It's cons- everyone knows that's Those are the Jews. They're religious. They've always been religious. You look throughout history. We, are- we invented religion. We got the Torah. Hashem gave it to us. Religion began then. Before Judaism, there was only idol worship. There was nothing else. Despite all the stupidity that people say, oh no, there was Buddhism before. No, there was no Buddhism. There was no nothing. There was idol worship, which was Buddhism anyway. And then there was Judaism. Other religions started 2,000 years ago, Christianity, and then sh- shortly later, Catholicism, which is another form of Christianity, and then about fourteen or 1,500 years later, uh, I'm sorry, 14, 1,500 years ago, uh, Islam started, and today there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 80,000 or so different cults and cultures and different types of religions, some people worship snakes, some people worship cows, some people worship pieces of wood, some people worship motorcycles, some people worship uh you know false gods of all types uh you know people worship anything i uh, heard a story a guy says to Nisim again um that he's not interested in doing chuva, he's not interested in doing anything and Nisim again was a very strong speaker he made walls do chuba so when a guy says no to Nisim again and doesn't do tshuva, it's very strange and Rabbi Nisim again, tried very hard with this guy. Nothing happened. And he tells a story and he says, uh, sometime later I came back to the US to visit and I actually saw the guy again. But this time I see him religious. This time I see him with a kippah. He's religious. I said, what happened? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've changed a lot since we last saw each other. He goes, yeah, who, who's the who's the big rabbi? that was able to crack the shell, to crack this uh, cement. You weren't willing to listen to anything. Proofs, no proofs, science, no science, whatever you nothing. He said, it wasn't in a rabbi. It wasn't a rabbi. He said, so who was it? He said, it was Thailand. As I went to Thailand with my father to go for a vacation, and as soon as I landed, I saw things that I never thought were possible. I saw people walking around in the streets with like buckets of snakes and waiting for people and somebody else would come. He's like, yes, give me that one. He looks at some uh, light snake or dark snake. He says, yeah, give me that one. He takes uh, something, hits him over the head, takes a snake, hits him over the head, pours the venom into a cup and the guy drinks it. The guy drinks the venom. He says, and then you start seeing all these strange things they Anything that walks, anything that moves, they eat it. Anything. If it stands, they worship it. He says, at that moment, I realized, thank God, I'm a Jew. Thank God I'm a Jew. And that moment, they became religious. We went home, and I started looking, what's, what says, it says in our Torah? So when a person realizes the available choices out there, It's very easy to be a Jew once you know what it's all about. The problem is that most people don't know what it's all about, including many religious people. Many religious people, unfortunately, they follow a certain system of studying and learning and so on. And eventually, if you don't really dig deep down inside and actually start using what you're learning to improve yourself, then it just becomes monotonous. It becomes nothing. Becomes like… You become like a robot robot that prays every day. A robot that keeps Shabbat. A robot that wears certain clothing. There's nothing moving behind you. Now, the key to change all of that is Musa. The key to change all of the things that we are failing at, the key to change all types of things that go against the Torah, the key to change the world, the key to change ourselves is Musa. And the reason why is because Musar is applicable Torah. It's the divine self-help. And this is exactly, as Rabbi Yisrael Nisalan says in his sixth chapter of this O Yisrael, is that this is exactly what they stopped teaching a few hundred years ago. Applicable Torah. They'll teach you about parah dumah that we don't have. They'll teach you about the Betta Mikdash that we don't have. They'll teach you about the different significance of a drog, which really all depends on whether you have money or not. If it's really significant, it costs more money. If it's not so significant, it's cheaper. Most people that are buying the really expensive one don't know what the difference between the expensive one and the cheap one. They just want to show it off to people. When Hashem says to the Prophet, He says, I don't care about your fast, I don't care about you ripping your clothes, I care about you ripping your heart. He's specifically telling the Prophet, meaning to tell us forever, that your tshuva, your servicing of Hashem, your emunah, your everything, all depends on what's inside. But unfortunately, Abi Yisraeli Salam is reminding us again, that what happened a few hundred years ago, and is obviously much, much worse today, is that... Judaism became very exterior. Very dependent on the exterior. Where as soon as the guy goes to a B'kneset for the first time and decides, oh, you know what, let me start learning Torah, immediately he grows a beard. No idea why beards are even part of Judaism. He has no idea what's the significance of even having a beard. But he knows it's free. And it makes him look religious. So now you have, okay, a beard. Shortly later, he says, okay, they wear... Black suits, many of them, and white shirts. That's normal attire in the business world anyway. Only difference is, sometimes they have the tzitzit hanging out, and sometimes they wear a kippah. So he adds those two parts to a business suit. So now he looks religious. The problem is that the average guy who doesn't know anything about religion, doesn't know anything about Judaism, the guy with the beard and the kippah and the tzitzit hanging out is 100% a rabbi. So when he asks him a question and the guy invents some answer that he read in some philosophy class, the secular guy is gonna take, take that answer to the bank. He's like, oh yeah, there's some rabbi answered me. I asked him, how come there's no dinosaurs in the Torah? And he said, yes, there isn't any. And see, there's a problem with the Torah because I see the bones. Well, first of all, he's not a rabbi. Second of all, he's an idiot. Third of all, you should look at the first chapter of the book, and it says, Tanini Magdolin. Tanini Magdolim means giant reptiles. Giant reptiles is exactly what? A dinosaur is. So it isn't a Torah. It's one of the creations.
1: Why should you say it?
0: Taninim HaGdolim. Taninim, like T-A-N-I-N-I-N, or M, I'm sorry, M as in Mary. Uh, And Gdolim, G-D-O-L-I-M.
1: Torah
0: and Bereshit. And Bereshit. I'll give you the verse. The verse is... I don't remember the verse off the top of my head, but I know it's in the beginning. Two. So this was actually one of my, one of my uh, major questions when I first started doing tshuva. You know, I asked multiple rabbis, where are dinosaurs in the Torah? One guy says, there's no such thing as dinosaurs. So I said, okay, there's no such thing as you having a brain. Because there's bones in museums. What, they just made the bones? Even though technically that is true in many cases. Some of the bones that you see in museums are completely fake. But nonetheless, it is, there, are, there is some validity to certain things. But the point is that if the bones are real, if they're all real, if some are real, whatever it is, dinosaurs are in the Torah. It's in chapter 1, verse two, two twenty-one. 21. So it says God made the uh, well this is a really bad translation. twenty um, one God created the great sea giants, it says here. There's not great sea giants. Taninim Agdolim literally means giant uh, reptiles. Uh, the great uh, the giant um, the great sea giants and every living being that creeps with which the waters teemed after the, their kinds." And so on. But Tanin tani means reptile. Anyone who speaks Hebrew knows that Tanin means reptile. It doesn't mean sea giant. So sometimes you have bad uh, translations. Point being is that people take Judaism based on exterior based on how you look. If you wear a kippah, you're a tzaddik. You don't wear a kippah, eh? If you uh, have a beard on, you're already a talmid chacham. You don't have a beard, how could you know any Torah? I even saw somebody make a comment on uh, Rabbi Mizrahi, one of his uh, shiurs, and this guy was a religious guy. He looked religious. The guy making a comment, look religious, how do you look religious? He fit the bill. He had a kippah, he had a beard. And he makes a comment... And he says, how can you listen to somebody teaching Torah if he doesn't have a beard? This is actually what he said in public comment. Aside from the fact that this is a complete foolishness, because many of the giant sages in history did not have a beard, beard is not a commandment in the Torah. Uh, it's, it's been considered part of Hasidut. It's not, it's not obligation. But aside from that, what do you think, even if, let's say, for example, let's just say that having a beard was Something you we're supposed to do as a Jew. What do you think will be worse, not having a beard or embarrassing somebody in public? <laughs> you understand? So when when we when Judaism is based on exterior, we fail. We fail miserably because we don't know who's religious. We don't know who to ask questions. We don't know anything. So the best thing to do is to go to somebody that actually is a real rabbi. It's number one. Number two, even more important than that, is to actually start doing research yourself. Open the books. Open the Gemara. Open the Shuchan Aruch. Open the Tanakh. Open the Sifret Tzadikim. See what they say. And you'll see that what they say, unfortunately, is very, very different very different tone, very different language than what many rabbis, including Orthodox rabbis say. Many times people tell me, oh, you know, why are you speaking so harsh about someone who violates Shabbat? Why you speak so harsh about someone that does this or that? I said, me? I never spoke harsh about anybody in my life. As far as religion, what do I care if you keep it or not? He what do you mean? You said Mechalel Shabbat, is an idol worship. I'm like, I didn't say it. I just repeated what God said. I didn't come up with it. You look at Rambam in Chod Shabbat chapter 30, this is what he says. You look at every Shabbat book ever written in the previous generations, this is exactly what they say. You look at the Shulchan Aruch, the book of laws that we have, in seven different places it says it. I didn't make it up. Rabbi Mizrahi didn't make it up. This is what it says. I say... Somebody tried to, uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess bust my chops today. And he, um, I guess it was posted somewhere that uh, to watch our Kiruv movie. Our Kiruv movie is like a 14 mo- minute movie about the significance of doing Kiruv and helping people come back to Hashem and do Tshuva. And this hero says, But does that mean Kiruv through love or through screaming Geinom? He's specifically addressing me, call, calls me by name. Like, is that about love or is that by screaming Geyenom to people? Implying that I scream Geyenom in every shoe apparently. <laughs> I guess he hasn't watched many of my shoeing but okay. Now here's the thing. If you look at what they say in the books, it's 50 million times worse than what I say. What I say is Ganadin. next to what the sages wrote. Ganadin. What I learned today with Rabbi Ephraim, I can't tell you. I learned today with Rabbi Freyam certain things about reincarnations. Reincarnations. And he tells me what happens, certain sins that people make, whether it's adultery or stealing or uh, wasting seed, all types of stuff. It's a very uh, mystical shiur we had today. And he showed me, you know, he said, we studied the book together. It says, this sin, according to the Torah, gets reincarnated as this. This sin gets reincarnated as this. This thing happens to this guy. This thing happens to this guy. What he said, I can't tell you. It's that bad. Do you understand? So people say, oh no, what If I'm I'm sugarcoating things. But I can't stay away from the truth. So, Rabbi Saimi Mishalat told us this was already a disaster in the world of Torah a long time ago. And one of the main reasons is because we forgot that Musar is an obligation. Musar is actually an obligation from the Torah. that You actually have to learn Musar every day. And the reason why is because the whole purpose of your life is to fix yourself. The only way you can fix yourself is at first if you acknowledge there's something wrong. Second, you start learning things that you could apply to your life. Musar is what, that's the part that you learn. So before I go any further, I asked, I told you guys that you could ask some questions and so why don't you ask some questions and then we'll continue. Go. Ready, go. Okay, Rabbi. Yeah. Uh, In the Torah,
1: it says, uh, when we are
0: talking about
1: the beer. Yeah. They they use the word tashir, which is mean destroy. Mm-hmm. So if we don't destroy our be I mean scraping it mean, you know killing it, is what it means. So if, what it so What does it mean? What it means is like they No, I'm asking you
0: asking what it means? What is
1: I'm asking you no, like you said I mean, like it says, you know that uh, it's not it's not a it's not a commandment that we should wear beer. You know? Right. Okay. But then on the other hand, emphasize clearly that it says, don't I mean. destroy the beer. Okay. Next question. Okay, I'll
0: answer it through to the lecture. Go next. Okay. I get the question.
1: Yeah. Next. I have a
0: question. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: Go. Ask me like five to, questions.
0: I'll uh, we'll uh, make uh, a shiur. And uh,
1: according to what happens in last parasha. a Byetchanan. Right, Moshe um, uh, Rabbeinu was under the impression that Hashem would, would forgive him somehow okay. and uh, change his mind and let him into the air of Israel okay. so my question okay. So, and not only that at the moment and there are other events in, in Torah that the, the, uh, you see some uh, decrease made by Hashem no? mm-hmm. but my question can a decree made by Hashem can be revoked?
0: Okay, next.
1: Okay, um, what is the purpose of the uh, sacrifice? Back to the
0: Kobanot, the uh, yes, sacrifices. The sacrifice. I mean, it's part of our repentance of sin, but uh, there's more details to it. Okay, next. <laughs>
1: The, you know, it, to, uh, the rest of the
0: Torah, you guys know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no.
1: Would no. So <coughs> so you wear a uh, kippa all the time, one
0: Uh or? Are you obligated to wear kippa all the time exactly. or not? The simple answer is, you're actually supposed to wear a kippa. It's a rabbinical mitzvah, but technically, you're supposed to cover your entire head. A real kippa, like for example, is the way the Rambam wrote, which covers the entire head. Mm-hmm. So, the bigger the kippa, the more you're following the uh, the ways of our sages. Uh, and the reason why we'll talk about it in a shiur go next four. That's four. Next one five. Anyone okay. has online? Good question.
1: Uh, no? Okay, uh, this is another thing that impressed me very much okay. is the difference of the uh uh in Parashah, you mm-hmm. and Parashah, uh, No, okay, it's somehow it, it it's the Habriah the, 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 the is kind of different.
0: The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments.
1: Yeah. That's another thing. I and mean, that's a question. That I was about to ask you today, but... Why? Why is of, it different? Yeah, they're different. There's Ten Commandments, but it's, they are, for example... They're slightly different how they're written. Yeah, for example, uh, in, in some... In, in the, I don't remember exactly right now. In Parshah, uh, it says, let read your, your, your mules... To rest. And in the other side, all your animals, don't specify it. And uh, respect your mother and your father, so you can live more. Right. And then in the other one, it says, so you can have more...
0: Well, no, no, I get you. It's, one says, "Shamov is a chol." One says, uh, yes. "Keep uh, keep Shabbat." The other one says, "Remember Shabbat."
1: The, the, the first, okay. the one, is uh, 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 "Hashem Why is your creator, okay. creator." Then in the second one, you see, "Remember Hashem that He took one of of miswriting."
0: Okay, so we so, got. Okay, so here's the questions. If I remember, if I don't remember, remind me. One is uh, the beard. If it says, mm-hmm. "Don't destroy your beard," then how come it's not a commandment? Right. Uh, two, the purpose of sacrifices.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Three, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, prayed and he didn't. wasn't forgiven. Can a decree be forgiven? If the, if, uh, the, can a decree, the, decree be, be forgiven?
1: The, the, the divine decrees are...
0: Are they forgivable?
1: Are, are they revocable? Right. I would say revocable.
0: Revocable. Because okay, can I they, they, change it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's three. Four is a... Uh, the
1: difference in the... difference in the commandments.
0: Do we have a five, fifth one? What's the fifth one?
1: Okay, uh, when we talk about your neighbor, is it, uh, my neighbor, to me, if I'm Jewish, is a Jewish guy, and then the Gentile. Repeat that again? Uh, we'll talk about, I love your neighbor. You know, yeah, love your neighbor, okay. Okay, is, 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 a, is, is the neighbor of, Jewish or is the neighbor non-Jewish? Right. I mean, it's, first of all, it's, I should look at my neighbor as a Jewish person, before, and then a Jewish, and then a Gentile.
0: First the Jews, then the Gentile. yes Jude always takes precedent over Gentiles Simply because you're obligated to love your brother Whereas with uh, a Gentile You're obviously supposed to not be a But Hashem But uh, Dorit, go ahead and ask a question We already have five, but let's go we'll Go for one no? They asked easy questions So you could ask a difficult one Go ahead Dorit Dorit online is asking questions We have to type fast Because we want to start yeah. People are going to log out um okay I'll keep looking at the screen while while I'm talking to see if uh, you ask a question along the way I'll try to answer it all right this is number 54 now I um the Avot is teachings of our, of our forefathers of our of our sages and uh, it continues here in Mishnah 22 it is prosperity Okay, prosperity of the wicked. Okay, prosperity of the wicked. How come the how come the wicked prosper? Said so a good question. Um So this mishnah says the following: Who Iyaomer kol shechok matom merubai maasav lemau <laughs> dome leilan shana fav merubin v'sharashav muatin ve'arouach ba'av v'okartov v'ofachto al panav shneimar ve'ayak yerar be'arava v'lo yirek yavo tov. وشخان وشخان خريرين بالمضبر اعص ملهى Velotishev, تشب אבל כל שמעצב מרובים חוכמתו למאו דמה לאילן מרובים As you can see, this is a very long Mishnah. It concludes two verses from the Torah, from the book of Jeremiah. And it says, he, he meaning Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. It's the same, anytime it says he, it means it's the same sage that said the previous Mishnah. So he is still talking about the same sage we learned about yesterday. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, which was uh, one of the presidents of the Sanhedrin. Uh, was very wealthy, was a giant uh, tzaddik and Chacham uh, And he was elected to be the president of uh, the Sanhedrin When he was only at the age of 18 uh, The details of the story we actually talked about last night So we won't repeat it But anyway, he continues and he says Anyone whose wisdom exceeds his good deeds What is he like? He's like a tree whose branches are numerous but whose roots are few. Then the wind comes and uproots it and turns it upside down as it is said in the Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 6. And he shall be like an isolated tree in an arid land and shall not see when good comes. He shall dwell on parched soil in the wilderness on a salted and uninhibited land. End of quote. But one whose good deeds exceed his wisdom. To what is he like? To a tree whose branches are few, but whose roots are numerous. Even if all the winds in the world were to come and blow against it, they could not budge it from its place. As it says in Jeremiah seventeen eight. And he shall be like a tree planted by waters, spreading its roots towards the stream, and it shall be no, It shall not notice the heat's arrival, and its foliage, its foliage, uh, shall be fresh. In the year of drought, it shall not worry, nor shall it cease from the yielding fruit. So it's actually much simpler than than it sounds. In so many words, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says, "Do you have a spine? If you have one." You'll stay close to God. If you don't, you won't. It's in so many words the pshat, the simple. How does he say it? He says it in this following He says, Someone who does very few good deeds in comparison to how much he knows. He knows a lot, he knows a lot of Torah. He read the he read the Chumash, he read Tanakh, he read a little bit, Gemara, he read this, he read that, he read this. But he keeps to himself, he doesn't necessarily keep everything that he learned about. He's learning it more on intellectual basis than he is for the purpose of action. Rabbi Lazar bin Azariah, who was a giant sage to the extent that he was able to revive the dead, says this such a person that knows a lot but his deeds are not a good match. they're not in the same level. He's like a tree that has many branches but few roots. Where if a wind comes, it's very easy to uproot this tree because the reason is when a tree has more more branches, more leaves it becomes heavier. So that knowledge aka those leaves, are actually bad for the tree when there's not many roots. If there's a lot of roots, if it has a good uh, hold on it of itself, it's good. It can hold as many leaves as it wants. But if you have very few roots and many leaves, that's the first tree that's going to fall over as soon as the wind comes, as soon as there's a some type of uh, hurricane. That's the first tree that falls. So... Here he says, and what is it like? It's like someone that makes fewer good deeds in comparison to his wisdom, where in essence his wisdom is like poison. And the Gemara says the Torah is called Samachayim, meaning it's called the drug of life. But drug of life where if someone knows how to use it, it'll give him eternal life. If someone doesn't use it, then it'll get eternal death. of it, Samachayim or Samachayim. So the same person that learns Torah can get two different things from it. It can either destroy him or it can build him. So he says, this guy is learning Torah. He knows the laws. He knows about Shabbat. But he says, no, it's not relevant to today anymore. No, it's not good for me. It doesn't fit. It's hard for me. Like a lot of people say, the modesty laws. Women obviously and men are obligated to be modest in Judaism. When you're a precious jewel... You're not supposed to expose your priceless possessions to the world. Hashem looks at each and every single Jew and each and every single creation that he has as something priceless. Especially when it's Am Yisrael, especially when it's human beings. So Hashem says, you're not supposed to show that to the whole world. You're supposed to protect it. If you had a hundred million dollar diamond, you wouldn't throw it in the air to see what happens in the middle of the street. What would you do? You'd cover it. You put it in a safe. You put a few bodyguards around it to make sure no one sees it, no one looks at it. Even if anyone asks a question, he's suspicious. He's suspect. Why are you asking questions about my diamond? Now, is that diamond any less valuable than your wife? Then why is your wife walking around half naked? If the diamond is a hundred million dollars, is not more valuable than your wife. I mean, if it's more valuable than your wife, you married the wrong woman. Or maybe you're the wrong man. But the point is that if you think that something that's a stone is more valuable than a human being, you have a problem. But if you realize that your wife is more valuable than a hundred million dollar diamond or a billion dollar diamond, then you have to ask yourself the question, why would you put bodyguards around the diamond and put it in a safe and cover it and protect it and everything But your wife, that's priceless, and your daughter, that's priceless, walk around showing everything to the world. This is the mentality of the Torah. You're not supposed to show everything to the world. There's a time and a place for everything. And not everyone's entitled to see everything. So, here, Abila Zabir Azami is telling you, if you know this rule, you know that you have to be modest as a Jew. You know that you have to be modest as a non-Jew. You know that you have to follow certain laws. But you say, no, you know what? Everyone else is walking around with shorts. So why shouldn't I? Modesty laws don't apply anymore to our generation. Everyone else walks around with a long wig. Why should I have a scarf on my head? Everyone else walks around with t-shirts. Why should I wear long sleeves? It's hot. Our grandparents used to live in a desert, but somehow they weren't hot. We are hot with essential air conditioners. See the logic here? It's complete 100% Yetzirah. But the point is that if you know that you're not allowed to do it and you still do it, he says that your knowledge is working against you. You actually get punished twice for it. One, for making a sin. Two, for treating Hashem with casualness. Thinking that you could just change His laws. He says if you have such knowledge and you don't actually do something about it, eventually you're going to become a complete 100% Kofel. And we'll talk about the details how in a second. He says, and he mentions a verse in the Torah uh, that uh, answers one of your questions. The verse is, And he shall be like an isolated tree in an arid land, and shall not see when good comes. He shall dwell on part soil in the wilderness on assaulted salted and uninhibited land. See here, The Prophet is speaking about one who places his trust exclusively in human efforts. Whether it's his own efforts or somebody else's effort instead of relying on God. So whether he earns his living, legal way or illegal way is irrelevant. The point is is that he's, that person, the Prophet Jeremiah is comparing him to an isolated tree that's going to eventually collapse and is never going to receive the blessing from Hashem. So the question that someone asked online is why is it that some people that are violating the law of Hashem every single day, as Jews, get blessings. They drive a Ferrari, they have a big house, they have a lot of money in the bank, they look happy, look happy. Theoretically they're happy. First and foremost, I can tell you from being around a lot of those people that have a lot of material, I've never met I've never met one that's actually truly happy. I've met some people that were content with certain parts of their life, but as far as happiness, I've never met a non-religious person that's happy. I've met a lot of people in my life. In the business world, many people, i Hashem in the religious world also. But as far as the material, one thing I know from sure, from experience, is money has nothing to do with happiness. All it does is that it enables you to arrive to your problems with the limousine. It taught us, Money, in essence, is a battery. It's a battery that is so, supposed to give you the power to enable you to do mitzvot. If you're going to use it properly, and you use that money properly for the purpose of what Hashem said, listen, I gave you the money for mitzvot, then Hashem is going to refill it. He's going to refill it. He's going to refill it. He's going to give you more power. If not, then, he's not necessarily going to take it away. Sometimes he takes it away. What happened with the camera? What yeah, Strange. Um, I guess this is an interesting... No, it's a berno battery. Um, if... As you can see, Satan is working. So here's a good important question. If, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter why. If the person uses this fuel, this money that Hashem gave him, the right way, it entices Hashem to refill it. Entices Hashem to recharge the battery. On the other hand, if he doesn't, Use the money properly. Sometimes Hashem takes it away. But many times, he gives him more. He gives him more money. Logic last week's parasha. Last week's parasha, parasha dvayat Hashem says, My lovers, the ones that keep my commandments, I pay them for thousands of generations. This is in chapter 7, verse 9. I pay them for thousands of generations. But my haters, which is the opposite of my lovers, obviously, the ones that don't keep my mitzvot, I pay them cash to their face to destroy them. I will not delay their payment. I will pay them cash to their face. What is this like? The snake that violated the word of Hashem and said, about Hashem, The first sin that happened in the world, was the snake lying, saying lashonah about Hashem, saying that Hashem said one thing, but He didn't. It wasn't uh, them eating from the tree of knowledge. That was the second sin. First sin was the snake actually lying about Hashem, saying lashonah about Hashem, and Hashem says, you are Ahu, you are cursed forever. And what does Ahu mean? He says you're cursed forever, well you could eat everything, but it's all gonna taste Like ta'a, like waste, like soil. Meaning, you're going to have all the money in the world. Everything is available for you to eat. Everything is available for you for the taking. All the money in the world is yours. All the cars in the world, yours. All the houses in the world, yours. All the companies in the world, yours. Everything is yours. Just don't talk to me. Don't pray to me. Why? When do people pray to Hashem? When they don't have any money. When they, don't, when they have some type of need, everybody becomes religious. As my dear friend Fidel told me, everyone's religious at the hospice center. The atheist is religious, the Christian is religious, the Jewish is religious, everyone's religious in hospice. Hashem says, you're cursed, once you get to a level, Bar Minan, Shem once you get to a point of being, Arul, in the eyes of Hashem, He says, I'm gonna give you Everything. But not because it's a blessing, because it's a curse. What is it like? Going back to our original analogy of a battery, if you're good, he recharges. If you're bad, he puts extra voltage to the point where he ruins the battery. He gives you so much, you puke it. He gives you so much, you're numb to it. It gives you so much, you start caring less about it. Everything else becomes meaningless. A guy that buys a new car every three or four years gets excited, usually, when he's about to buy the car. A guy that buys the car every two years, less excited. A guy that buys the car every year, less excited. I met a guy that bought five Range Rovers in one day. He's a football player, got a contract, on his first day of the contract, he bought five Range Rovers. For him and a few of his friends, family and so on. Aside from the fact that he's broke now, the uh, for obvious reasons, the point is, is that he was only excited when he bought it. Just two weeks later, he wasn't so excited about the five Range Rovers. He had to buy another car. When someone gets everything material that they want, it ends up being a curse, not a blessing. And Hashem says, when you get to a point of such prosperity, when you get so much, it's not necessarily always a blessing. It's in fact the opposite. It's a, it's a curse. So how do you determine whether it's a curse or not? Determine with the rest of the guy's life. You see some of these uh, issues are making the Torah very simple to understand. First and foremost, the proof that money does not make one soul in the world happy is the fact that suicide is a rich man's problem. Poor people do not commit suicide for the most part. Proportional to, relative to rich people. Rich people kill themselves. Poor people have hope. They don't kill themselves. This is by far the best possible proof that money does not make you happy. So when you see somebody that has a lot of money... It's not necessarily a good thing. Now, as far as the uh, question you asked in regards to Moshe um, Rabbeinu, repeat it again. Uh, it's
1: a, uh, a uh, is a heavenly
0: decree changeable? So, or, or reverse? So, revocable. So, Hashem does revoke His decrees if they're negative. If there's a negative prophecy, a negative decree, He can undo it if something changed. But if it's positive, only once in history has he changed a positive into a negative. And that was during the Bet HaMikdash. During the Bet HaMikdash, he didn't want to destroy the Bet HaMikdash. And many times, he was supposed to punish Ami because they sinned against him. They sinned against him. They said they're going to do but they didn't do. So he kept giving him chances. He said, I wrote in my Torah and I'm going to punish you. Okay, but some one guy did tshuva. Okay, so give him more time. Give him more time. Give him more time. One guy said this. One guy did that. One guy did feeling One guy did tarat mishpachai. finally his wife's going to the mikveh. And so on. But eventually it got to a point where there was no one willing, no rabbi willing to tell the truth. The Gemara says that as soon as Hashem says there is no one left in the world. To tell people the truth about Torah, meaning to tell them when they're sinning, to tell them when they're mistaken, because everybody was worried about other people's opinions, everyone was worried about popularity, everyone was worried about offending people. The moment that he saw there's no one willing to rebuke, he said, I had to change something that I decreed that was supposed to be good, the pleasant reward that I was supposed to give I change it to bad. Why did I change it to bad? Because originally I decreed when I created the world that I'll protect the righteous. And I'll punish the wicked. And the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, it says that originally Hashem said, I'm only going to kill the chilonim. I'm only going to kill the secular people. Somebody doesn't keep Shabbat. I'm going to kill him, punish him. Someone keeps Shabbat. No problem. He's good. But then... The Shechina came to Hashem and said, Hashem, it's not fair. Because the people didn't keep Shabbat because the rabbis didn't tell them it was so important. The rabbis didn't make a big deal out of it. They didn't lay on the middle of the street to stop the cars. They didn't yell at people and say, Mechalel Shabbat mot yumat. the death penalty on Mechalel Shabbat. They didn't say you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. Instead, they show the guy where to park sometimes. Hashem says, you're right. They die first. So in Gemara at Shabbat, page 54, for anyone who wants to look, it says Hashem decided to overturn his own positive degree to protect the righteous, and he ended up punishing them first. Why? Hashem says they really weren't righteous. They looked righteous from the outside. The beard, the hat, turban like Rambam. (laughs) Tzitzit all the way to the floor. They knew everything by heart. He didn't rebuke, Hashem said it's worthless for me. Why? This Mishnah. Mishnah says, if you're gonna learn Torah, but you're not gonna follow it, it's worthless. Worthless. If you're gonna learn Torah, But you're not going to follow what it says. You, my friend, are destroying the world. Gemara says someone learns Torah. But doesn't want to follow what it says. It would have been better had he suffocated from his mother's, in his mother's uterus. Meaning it was better that he never came to the world. Now you think about this. Okay, somebody learned Torah. They don't feel like keeping Shabbat. They don't feel like keeping Mitzvah. They don't feel like keeping Kosher. They don't feel like keeping the alakot about the beer. They don't feel like doing it. Big deal. Same, it's better he didn't come to the world. What, the guy didn't contribute anything good to the world. He gave a homeless guy tztaqah. He, uh, you know, lent somebody else some money. He was really nice to his wife. I don't know, he was nice, Why it was really that much, it was that bad? To make a sin is that bad? When you understand the depth of Torah, you start understanding. Start understanding why it's so bad to sin against Hashem. Now, Hashem says, if you know what it says in the Torah and you don't follow, you're destroying the world and it would have been better off that you died and you didn't come to the world. Why? Because before you came to the world, 974 generations to be exact, 974 generations before Hashem created the world, he created the Torah. He took white fire and black fire and he used the black fire to write on the white fire. This in essence is repeated today in a way where you see the Sefer Torah is a white scroll and you have black writing and not pink or blue or red. It's in essence trying to you know emulate what Hashem did 974 generations before 6,000 years ago. So now, Hashem inid- initially, the Torah was theoretical. It's a theory. Meaning, Hashem said, kosher, kosher exists, Tanakh Mishpacha, Shabbat, any alakot, the halachot of uh, Tzniyot, everything. But it's all in theory. Why? Because unless there's humans, it cannot be fulfilled. Only humans can eat kosher. Angels don't eat. Hashem doesn't eat. Only humans can keep Talat Mishpacha, family purity. Only humans can keep Shabbat. Only humans can do all of the mitzvot, the 613 mitzvot, only humans can do. So in essence, the only reason why Hashem created the world... Was in order to remove this holy Torah from being in a state of, the, of theory and put it into practice. So, in essence, you are able to complete the mission. And this is why Hashem Barach, the, the holy books say, Hashem I'd Barach in essence, when he created the Torah, he became one with it. When he created Yisrael, he became one with them. It's all part of the same thing, it's all part of him. When one piece doesn't feel like being there, you have a problem. When you read the Torah, and you say you believe in God, but you don't want to do what it says, you don't want to do what He says, you're defeating the whole purpose of creation. Because the only reason you came here is to honor and sanctify the name of Hashem. In the Gemara it says a person who doesn't find a way to sanctify the name of Hashem on a daily basis, it would have been better off if they didn't come to the world at all. Why? What's your point? The world's not for you, it's for him. He's the world. He's everything. He only created you so you could fulfill the Torah. Because without humans, Torah is theoretical. He doesn't want it to be theoretical. He wants it to be in action. He wants to be a living Torah. Living Torah requires human beings, requires Am Yisrael. So when Am Yisrael fulfills the Torah, they're fulfilling the purpose of creation. When Am Yisrael goes against the Torah, they're defeating the purpose of creation, they're destroying the world. So now sometimes you have rabbinical mitzvot that confuse people. So, for example, the issue with beard. In the Torah, it says that you are not allowed to destroy your beard. But the sages, which Hashem empowered them, Hashem empowered the sages to put a fence around His fence and to implement certain laws based on certain generations. They were also instilled with wisdom from Mount Sinai of how to translate the exact meaning of these laws. Like for example, when Hashem says, Wrap it on your arm and on your head. Wrap what? Wrap a string. Wrap a uh, rubber band. Wrap what? Wrap tefillin. What's tefillin? How do we know what's inside of tefillin? Is it just a cardboard box? Or is it made out of a certain skin? Can I make it out of lion skin? Or can I make it out of a deer? Or can I make it out of a cow? Can I make it out of a turtle? Can I make it out of an alligator? Imagine nice alligator skin tefillin. Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page twenty-seven says, "No, the tefillin laws are from Moshe Sinai. We already know that the laws of tefillin from Mount Sinai. We know they have to be black. We know they have to be square. We know what the squ- everything we know about tefillin is there. And one of the things we know is that it must be from a kosher animal. It must be from a kosher animal. It can't be from a lion or alligator. This is from Mount Sinai. We already know, but it's in the Gemara." So these very same sages that explain this, that have not just their own interpretation of the laws, but they have the laws all the way from Mount Sinai, are telling us that when it says in the Torah, don't destroy your beard, it doesn't mean you must have a beard. It means you can't shave with a razor close to the skin to the point where it destroys the root. So it destroys the root. So that means even if you want to shave, for example, if someone wants to have a, 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 a no beard, they have to shave shave with a buzzer, not a razor. And even the buzzer has to be an approved buzzer. It has to be a, um, a kosher buzzer because many of the buzzers today or the shaving machines today have something called lift technology. And this lift technology is almost as good in some cases even better than razors. It goes deep inside your face and takes the root out. This is the same thing. If you use that type of technology, it's the same thing as shaving with a razor. And shaving with a razor, just you know, is like eating six spoons of pig blood. Same thing, it's six different sins. Shaving with a razor is six different sins. To such an extent, it's such a big sin to shave with a razor, that if a chazan, you know, you're going to have the holidays, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah coming up. Sometimes they bring singers, instead of chazanim, they bring singers. If someone has a good voice, they want it to be chazan, because he can read.
1: Yeah.
0: This is a problem, because many of these singers don't follow Torah. So they look like models. They sound like a uh, some famous singer. But as far as Torah, they're ignorant completely. They come in with a shaved face like a baby. If his face is shaved like a baby, that means he's shaved with a razor. If he shaved with a razor, the Chazal says he's not allowed to be even counted in a minyan. Forget about being the Chazan. He's not even part of the minyan. Why is he not part of the minyan? Imaraz says anyone that desecrates the laws of the sages on a regular basis is no longer part of Am Yisrael. So why is shaving considered such a high thing? Because, because an average man shaves on a regular basis. He doesn't shave once a year. He doesn't shave once a century. He doesn't shave once in his life. He shaves every two days. Which means that if he shaves on a razor, he's shaving every couple of days. He's violating the laws of Torah and the sages. Every two days, It's regularly going against the Torah. Can't be counterpart as a minyan, and definitely cannot be the chazan. And if you look at the Gemara, Masechet Taanit, page sixteen, or the end sixteen or beginning of seventeen, it says a chazan who is not kosher is bringing curses on the Keila, not blessings. Mm-hmm. So be careful where you go pray on Yom Kippur or Sometimes they have singers. Those singers are not helping you. Those singers are not helping you. They have a nice voice. But it's their that voice is just brings Klalot from Shemaim. Understand? And to answer the next question in regards to what's the point of the Korbanot, the Korbanot were a replacement or, or um, a way for us to repent our sins. A way for us to repent our sins. So for example, when a guy accidentally, not on purpose, accidentally turned a light on on Shabbat. Accidentally, Then he says, okay, you have to bring korban chatat. There's different types of korbanot. You have to bring korban chatat to Bet HaMikdash to repent for your accidental sin. Now if he turned on the light on purpose, there's no korban. It's death penalty. If there's witnesses, he was warned, He turn on the light anyway, it's death penalty. There's no second chances. But if he did it by accident, says, bring a korban. Why a korban? Why Hashem eats the cow, what does He do with the cow? Yeah. It's to remind you that really, it's supposed to be you dying. You know how they slaughter the koban they take the cow, they slit its throat, they kill the cow. It's a very, very gruesome situation. A lot of rabbis, that's the first rabbinical uh, uh, test that you take, you uh, you learn the laws of shechita. And part of learning yoreh yoreh, the, the, the laws of shechita and so on, is you have to learn how to be a shochet. You have to learn how to slaughter. Not learn theoretically. You have to go to the slaughterhouse. They have to give you a special knife. You have to know how to check the knife with the nail. You have to go to the knife. If the knife has any bumps at all, it's not a kosher knife. Can't use it. Has to be resharpened every time. Every shkita you have to resharpen the knife again. So if you're lazy, your shkita is not kosher. If your shkita has pauses in it, it's not kosher. If the animal suffers, it's not kosher. You have to know how to... Sh- But anyway, I remember when I was a little boy My father, God bless him He took us on Pesach He used to have this minag I don't know whose minag this is But in Israel they have this minag Where you go and you actually Put a sheep's head On your Pesach table Sheep Here we do Leg Fish head, fish head, something Where they came from they'll put the head. Or if they didn't put the head, they just kill the whole sheep and eat it throughout all of Pesach. Anyway, my father, when we were little kids, I was maybe, I don't know, five years old, six years old. Me and my brother, who was a couple years older than me, he says, I'm going to take you to the butcher. Now, we're little kids. We don't know anything. We just go. Abba wants to take us? Sure. He's excited to go with Abba anywhere. If you could go to the bathroom with them, you go to the bathroom with them. You're excited with Abba. So we're running with uh, with my dad, we go to this butcher and all of a sudden we see all these animals and we see one of the guys taking one of the sheep, cute little sheep, and he takes the sheep and they pin him down and we're like, what's going on? We have no idea what's going on here. Next thing you know, he slices his throat. Kills the sheep. You start seeing, you know, the, the feet move. I will never forget this vision for the rest of my life. It's the most horrifying thing Ever. Awful, 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 awful. I don't know how anybody can be a Shochet. God bless them. It's such an amazing profession because you mamash have to mamash have Yirat shemaim to be a Shochet. If you're a kosher Shochet, if you're just a vicious person, you're a vicious person. But if you're kosher Shochet, you have to have serious Yirat shemaim because you know it's hard to see it for anybody, including the Shochet, but you're doing it for Hashem. So anyway, so seeing it as a kid, when they asked me, oh, do you want, why don't you go study to be a rabbi? I said, what, to be a shochet, to be a butcher? Never in a million years. I already have the vision from when I was five years old. Never in a million years I'm mean, going to take this course, put a knife to anything. I'm scared to cut my steak. You want me to cut the, cut the sheep? <laughs> from this memory of, of uh, 30-something years ago. So anyway, Hashem says, in reality, the korban... It's very, you know, gruesome situation, but nonetheless, it's a reminder that really, it's supposed to be us. It's supposed to be us.
1: It's, uh, symbolic?
0: Symbolic that it's supposed to be us getting the death penalty for violating the laws of Hashem. So it's Hashem is in, inflicting the punishment of death on the animal instead of on his child. But now, after the Bet Hamidras was destroyed. We were no longer allowed to do korbanot. As a matter of fact, the laws of korbanot changed a couple of times throughout history. Before the Bet HaMikdash, we were able to do korbanot individually. Adam HaLishon brought korbanot to Hashem. Noah brought korbanot to Hashem. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov brought korbanot to Hashem. They all brought korbanot to Hashem. In the uh, original Bet HaMikdash of the desert, really, the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. the desert, the Mishkan, They brought korbanot there. But as soon as the Bet Mikdash was built, there was a new law, you're not allowed to have a korban, a sacrifice anywhere outside of the Bet Mikdash. You're no longer allowed to do korbanot on your own. If you want a korban, you have to come to the Bet Mikdash. This, in essence, forced people to come to the Betu Mikdash several times a year. Which, in essence, was one of the goals. But that also meant that once the Beit dust was destroyed, there was nothing to replace it. So for the last 2,000 years, we have not been able to do korbanot. So Hashem already gave us a solution. He says to the Prophet O'Shea in uh, chapter 14, verse 3, dvarim <laughs> Adonai, Take words with you and return to Hashem, say to Him, meaning do tshuva, say to Him, May you forgive all iniquity, meaning forgive all of our sins, and accept good intentions and let our lips substitute for bulls. Meaning, let the words coming out of our mouth, the prayers, substitute for the bulls which used to be the korban used to be the sacrifice. So today when we pray, it's considered a korban each time. Today when we do it's korban. So people, they know how to do, sometimes they know how to do part of it. They know how to eat, thank you, they know how to eat, but they don't know how to say thank you. In the is, there, um, is there any similar
1: mention on the Torah like uh, you read now uh, from Ose- Oseas?
0: Mm-hmm. Meaning and, uh, from the five books of Moses? Yeah. Like as literal as that, there's something else, but not as literal as that one. Because okay. at the time of the five books of Moses, it wasn't a... Uh, there is uh, ways that Chazal translates certain verses to, to mean that, but it's not the same thing Like as literal as that one. That's the most literal one that I know, of, at least. But as far as the... Um, Thank you part is people have a very easy time eating, but hard time thinking. So sometimes they look for excuses to get out of it. So they'll eat one slice of pizza because somebody told them that if you only eat one slice of pizza, it's mezonot and not mutzi. This is not really true. This is not really true. This is a made up thing. In order for a pizza to be mezonot, it has to be made from much, much more expensive ingredients than what your pizzeria is willing to make it with. The, the, the bread is not baked the same way. It has uh, milk in it. It's uh, No one does it, put it that way. You know, I, I don't believe there is more than one place in probably all of America, if there is a place at all, that has real mezzanot pizza. If you're eating one slice of pizza, it's mozi. If you know how to eat, always. If you know how to eat, you need to know how to pray, especially since you know that the prayer of Birkat HaMazon is from the Torah. As a matter of fact, it's from this week's parashat Parashat Ekev. Parashat Ekev, Hashem tells you in chapter 7, uh, verse uh, two, 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 10. You will eat and you will be satisfied and bless Hashem your God for the good land that He gave you. You know how to eat? Good. You know how to be satisfied from eating? Comes natural. No problem. Bless Hashem. Say thank you. Mm-hmm. Say thank you. What's thank you? Birkat Amazon. Birkat Amazon. It's the number one most important blessing in all of Judaism. More important than Shema Yisrael. More important than Tatfilat Monais. Yisrael. People play around with it. And they say, oh, I forgot Birkat Amazon. I'll do it later, I'll do it this, I'll do it that. So even though you have 72 minutes from the time you finish eating to do Birkat you should know that based on Halacha, you're supposed to do it at the place you ate. You're supposed to do it, Mara says in Berchot, you're supposed to do it where you ate. So if you eat here, bread, you're supposed to do Birkat here. Not, oh, I'm, I'm, I'll do it in my car, I'll do it in my car. So, I'll tell you a story that happened in the Gemara. It also reminds me in this uh, in this book. It's a very good book. I highly recommend for people to get this book. It's um, uh, it's called Birkat Amazon Bechavana by uh, the the Castle Edition. It's really good. Anyway, and this says some Musar about Birkat Amazon. Musar about Birkat Amazon. And it has the Birkat Amazon in it. Anyway. Uh, it's in the Gemara. It says that um, you're obligated to do Amazon where you ate. Now, if you forgot, forgot you ate, you know how to eat. You never forget to eat. Anyone ever here ever forgot to eat? Rav Vadi is One time he forgot to eat for three days. He forgot to eat for three days. Him, I, if he told me, if he says I forgot to eat for three days, you can believe it. Why? He was glued to the Torah. 24 hours a day. So you can see, he didn't sleep for three days. He didn't do anything for three days other than learn Torah for three days. For him, forgetting how to eat, it's fine, no problem. I believe it. It's a real story. Me forgetting how to eat, me, you forgetting how to eat, no chance in the world. We know how to eat. So if we know how to eat, we need to know how to pray to Hashem and thank Him for the food. So now, it says, if you forgot to pray at the the place you ate, no problem. Pray immediately wherever you are. You don't have to come back. Even though it's a machloket, there's a difference of opinion. One says you have to come back, another one says you could pray wherever you are, but the halacha goes, you could pray wherever you remembered it. Stop, pray at that moment, okay, you're in the car already, stop the car, pray, but the Gemara says, what if somebody eats, he knows he has to pray, but he says, no, no, I'm going to pray on my way. I'm going to pray somewhere else. I'm not going to pray here. intentionally, going somewhere else to pray. The Gemara says one guy did that. And as soon as he left the restaurant, he had, he left, he ate, he knew he had to pray, he didn't feel like praying. I'll pray later. Let Hashem wait for a little while. What happened? He said, lions attacked him and killed him. As soon as he left the restaurant, lions appeared out of nowhere and killed him. Now, my wife, God bless her, she had a phenomenal chidush. I said, what is the, the Gemara talks about this, lions... What does a lion have to do? Like, why would Hashem send a lion? Why wouldn't he send, I don't know, a bull? Why did he send a bull? Why didn't he send, I don't know, a truck? Why did he send a lion? Because if you notice, in Birkat HaMazon, it says the uh, Teilem. It says in Teilem, You remember that, the Teilem? Yeah. So it says, So it says, David Amira says, his king's salvation performs kindness on us, um, for, eter- for David and his descendants for eternity. So here, it lions can be impoverished and hungry. Lions, they can go hungry and die. But those who seek Hashem never lack anything. Lions go, Hashem decides, lions start to death, no problem. But if you're one of the few that seeks Hashem, worships Hashem, Hashem, you're never ever going to starve to death. It's against the nature that Hashem instilled in the world. And David Amalekh says, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen a righteous man starve or his children looking for bread, Never. It's against the nature of the world, unless there's a decree on the entire generation. Because the decree on the entire generation is a different story. So now, she says, "Hey, now I know why in the Gemara it says the guy that decided that he wants to pray Bilkatamazon somewhere else was mauled by lions. Why? Because it says in Biketamazon that the lions can go hungry, so the lion did go hungry, so Hashem gave him something to eat." You don't want to do Bikat Amazon? Fine, I'll feed the line with you. Mm-hmm. Simple. Chidush, Rabbanit. Rabbanit, chidush. So now, Tamidach <laughs> Hamah. Yeah. Uh,
1: so there is a. Uh, I heard that there is a standard version. It is it's there, and a standard version of Bikat Amazon, or there are some type of reductions or mm-hmm. uh, small versions. I don't know. How okay, to put it, so, yes. To so, make so it Bichat Mazon,
0: Gemarai Masechet Baruchot says, the first paragraph of Bichat Mazon, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. First paragraph, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, we went to Mount Sinai. Second paragraph, Yeshua Benun. G'dol Ado, prophet of that led Am Yisrael after Moshe Rabbeinu, Yeshua Benun wrote, second paragraph, after we crossed the uh, Jordan Sea. Hashem split the sea again, went there to Israel. Yeshua Yeshua Benun wrote, second paragraph. Third paragraph, King of Israel, David Amelech, and his son, Shlomo Amelech, wrote the third paragraph. After that, the Tzaddikim Miyavne, the head, the son, Edrin, wrote Rachaman, all the Rachaman, and in the last paragraph, Mikdol, Edataynim, David Amelech again. So you see, the giants of all generations wrote Bikotamazon. The obligation of bikat from the Torah. It's not, it's not rabbinical, it's no. biblical. So now Hashem says, men have an obligation to learn Torah. Men have an obligation to fulfill the entire Torah to a higher extent than women do. And the reason why is because women have the responsibility of building the home. They have a responsibility to take care of the kids. The kids are not always soldiers waiting for the commands. Sometimes they want to draw on the walls. Sometimes they want to jump on the wall. Sometimes they want to go inside the wall. Sometimes they want to climb the ceiling. Sometimes they want to do all types of stuff. So EMA uh, ima is very, very busy managing these kids. So, so the ima doesn't have as much time as Abba. So sometimes if the ima really, really is mamash, has no time whatsoever... There's a shorter version for her. If she has small, tiny, little babies that are going to start crying hysterical because they need to be fed. And they're not going to get the food from Walmart. They're not getting the food from ShopRite. They're not getting the food from any supermarket. They need to get the food from IMA. The baby that's three, four, five, six, seven months old only gets the food from IMA. He doesn't get it from me. He doesn't go in the store by himself. So she can have a shorter version for her. Because she is in a precarious situation where she, Mama, she has no time. Five kids, no time. Abba, on the other hand, does not have that. Okay. And even if the Ima has grown kids, she no longer is allowed to use it either. So if Ima has grown kids, she can't use the same excuse she used when they were babies. Because now she has time. So the shorter version of Bikad Amazon is available, but under precarious situations. But again, the appointment, delay the appointment. Sometimes you have to run late, you run late. Sometimes you have to, whatever you have to do is no problem. The key is, is that if we have time to eat, time to then we have time to pray. pray. So the Sekhut, Everything else is everything else is just an excuse. So the sehut goes with it, so right. if you, if if you have time to eat, then you have time to pray. You don't have time to eat, right. then you don't have to pray. So you don't have time to pray, don't eat. So pray. That's why it's an honor, or it's a big Respect. Hundred percent. He gave you food. You know the very the the, the smallest amount of uh, decency would be to say thank you. If a homeless guy got something, a normal person that's you know has his mind still in his head is going to say thank you. If a stranger opened a door for you, you'd say thank you. If a stranger gave you a piece of gum, you say thank you, but maybe you throw it out because a stranger. <laughs> but the uh, the point is, if anyone gives you anything, you say thank you. Hashem gave you sustenance. You're not going to say thank you. Doesn't make any sense. The same thing goes with when people leave the bathroom. One of the my personal favorite blessings is this Asher It's actually the reason why we had these posters made that I gave you guys before. We have these, and I mentioned it, I think, uh, a few weeks ago, whenever I mentioned it, we have these posters made. And, uh Hashem, there are other ones in the market, but we thought that uh, we could do something that's, uh, you know, has our logo on it, has a, uh, some uh, blessings on it that are in addition to uh, our skulot, in addition to what's uh, out there. And more importantly, something more aesthetic. You know, some of the stuff that's out there, a lot of people don't like it. They don't want to put it on the wall. They say it looks, you know, uh, childish or, or, or whatever, or cartoonish. So we wanted to put something that was a little bit more aesthetic, a little bit more in line with what people like. And also something that's um, going to last for a while. So we have this... Supposed actually made from plastic. It's very durable, Could get wet, whatever. And also it applies to, you know, it could be uh, used by anyone. If you speak Hebrew, you have the Hebrew writing. If you don't speak Hebrew, but you want to learn Hebrew, you have the transliteration. So an English way of uh, pronouncing the Hebrew words. And if you want to just know what the meaning of the words are, you also have that too. So all three of them are there, plus you have certain zgulot, or where you get berkat Amazon from. Whether it's in... Uh, Job or Psalms and so on, and several nice things. Anyway, we made this thing. Why did I make this thing? Why did I pick this out of, let's say, anything else? Simply because it's very, it's something I can connect to personally. And most people don't appreciate the health until they lose it. Like I said, in the hospice center, everyone's religious. In the hospital, usually they start becoming religious, start asking about God. But when you're healthy and everything, it goes good. No one asks any questions. When I was 26 years old, I had practically no problems with my health. Once in a while, I'd have a small little problem, but nothing. But then at the end of that year, life changed. And I realized that the simple deed of going to the bathroom is 100% a miracle. Every time. You bring steak, chicken, uh, apples, oranges, Kit-Kat bars, whatever. Hashem takes all the good out of it, allows you to absorb it and give you health, give you sustenance. He takes all the waste and it gets out of your body. Without any help. That by itself is a simple miracle. Now what's a bigger miracle? Is that in this blessing it says that if one of these openings closes... Or one of the things that's supposed to be closed opens. You wouldn't survive. Now most people don't really believe that. Or if they believe it, they don't really put it into their conscious mind. Maybe it's in their subconscious mind, but it's not. they don't really understand it consciously. They don't apply it to their day-to-day life. So they think, I went to the bathroom, big deal. Everybody goes to the bathroom. The chicken goes to the bathroom, human goes to the bathroom. What's the big deal? The big deal is, is that if you weren't able to go to the bathroom it's the worst possible feeling in the world. And if you go to the bathroom too much, the Gemara specifically says, if you have stomach problems, a person that has stomach problems, be righteous obviously, not someone that's a kufir. Someone that's righteous, and has stomach problems, where they go to the bathroom too much, and they suffer from stomach throughout their life, they don't see gay They do not see gay nom. That's how bad stomach problems are considered in shamayim. And anyone who doesn't understand stomach problems, trust me when I tell you, you almost prefer Gagnon for it. So here you have a blessing. You go to the bathroom, this is a way to say thank you. How do you say thank you? Hashem, I know that sometimes I don't think about it, but I just experience it. If it works, I don't consider anything bad. But it, the second it doesn't work, the second you can't go to the bathroom, life changes. Whether you're 20 or 50 or 100. Any mature human being can understand the significance of this. You put this on the wall, every time you finish going to the bathroom, you read this. And it's good to have the poster and to actually read it from the poster. Because when you read something, instead of doing it from memory, which most of us do naturally to do it from memory, it's better, always better to read it from something than to do it from memory. Because the Arizal said, that even he himself, the Arizal HaKadosh, we know all the secrets of the of the Zohar from the Arizal. He says, even he himself reads Bilkat HaMazon from a sidu. Why? He says, that's the only way you're going to have 100% Kavanah. Full meaning, only when you read the words. You have this on your wall, it's aesthetic, it's nice, it's durable and so on. We're trying to raise some money with it, hopefully people want to buy it, but it's only 5 bucks. But if somebody can't afford it, they can have it for free. We'll send it to you, just do the mitzvah for heaven's sake. If you have money, great, send it. You could sponsor them. If you don't have money, we'll send it to you anyway. Just do the bracha. Point is, is that it's a uh, it's, it's an amazing blessing. I can connect to it because at some point in my life, I lost my health and Hashem gave it back to us. This is one of the things that I connect, connect to. So anyway, here we have a Mishnah that tells you that when your foundation is weak, you learn Torah here and there. You know a few rules. You know what Shabbat is. You used to be religious. But you fell off. He tells you the reason why you fell off is because you started taking the Torah and picking it apart. You picked this and you said, no, this is not for me. Ah, this one's not relevant. Ah, this one is not for me. You started picking different parts. You like, you don't like. He says your deeds weren't even close to your knowledge. And as soon as you don't implement the Torah, you destroy the world. On the other hand, one whose deeds exceed his wisdom, to what is he likened? He is likened to a tree whose branches are few, but whose roots are numerous? Even if all the winds in the world were to come and blow against it, they could not budge from its place. As it says, the prophet Jeremiah, and he shall be like a tree planted by water, spreading its roots towards the steam, towards the stream, and it shall be a no, not. He shall not notice the heat's arrival, and its foliage shall be fresh. In the year of drought, it shall not worry, nor shall it cease from yielding fruit. So here, the Prophet Jeremiah is... The Prophet Jeremiah is actually talking about a person that trusts in Hashem. If the person trusts in Hashem, that's a good foundation... That person will be rewarded for this foundation. For having such a foundation. Now, what's the what's the reward for it? The reward for it is eternity. Why? Because you passed the test. Now, sometimes I hear stories from people who say, Listen, I don't really know much. I'm already 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. I want to do chuba, but I don't know much. How do I know if Hashem is going to accept my chuba? I've been sinning for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. How do I know? I mean, how do I know how to do everything and so on? So the key, this Mishnah, is actually answering this question. He says, first and foremost, what's the sign of, of, of true tshuva? Is you do everything you know. You know what Do it. You know asher Do it. You know tefillin? Do it. You know shabbat? Do it. You know kosher? Do it. Somebody came to Rabbi Yisrael Salant and he told him, I don't know how to read, I don't know how to read, so I can't be a Talmud Chacham. But I want to do Tshuva, I, I want to continue doing what I know. He goes, what do you do now? He says, today I wake up, I uh, I know that the uh, Rabbi said to wash your hands, I wash my hands. He goes, then what? He goes, then after that, well, actually first he says, I, I say thank you to Hashem. For bringing me back to life. Okay. After that, I wash my hands. Fine. After that, I go to the Bekneset. Okay. After that, what do you do? He goes, after that, I put the tefillin on. He goes, I didn't know how to put tefillin on. He goes, I see the rabbi. He did it. So I follow the same thing. Okay. After that, he goes, I see my Yisrael. He goes, I didn't know how to he goes, I heard the rabbi say it a few times. So I say it now also, okay. After that, I go eat. He goes, where do you go eat? I go eat something kosher. He goes, how do you know you eat kosher? Because he I heard my rabbi say you have to eat kosher. After that, I go pray later on in the day, Mincha, how do you know to do Mincha? He goes, my rabbi said to do this, this and this. And he goes through his whole day, he goes, perfect. Do everything, everything you just told me, just say everything you just told me every day. Just say it every day, it's fine. He goes, why, what do you mean just say it? He goes, when you say Mudani, you already say it. Chazal said you should say Mudani. you should should thank Hashem for bringing back your nashamah. That's already Divre Chazal, on the morning. Second is you are saying Alacha, you have to wash your hands. You have to wash your hands, Alacha. So you're repeating on Alacha, that's Divre Torah, that's learning Torah. After that you go to pray, do Kriyat Shema, that's Alacha. Masachet B'chot says you have to do Kriyat Shema in the morning and at night. You do Kriyat Shema twice a day, it's Alacha, you're following it. And also you have to, why do you have to do Why don't you just talk about, I don't know, bubble gum and, uh, and zoo animals. Why Kriyat Shema? It says because you have to repeat the Exodus. The, the, what happened at the Exodus every day. What happened at Yetziat Mitzrayim, every day. That's why they picked Kriyat Shema. Okay, after that, you do Tfilin. Tfilin's in the Torah, you have to lay Tfilin. After that, you do Mincha. That's also from... All of these things you said to me—they're all Allah Khad, they're all laws of the Torah. If you just repeat it, that's already learning Torah. So even if you don't know how to read, you don't have any excuses. You don't have any excuses, even if you don't know how to read. He goes, just the simple fact that you know that you have to say thank you to Hashem when you wake up already shows that you can be a tzaddik. Why? Think about it for a moment. Why do you have to say thank you to Hashem when you wake up in the morning? Why? The Gemara says, when someone's sleeping, it's one-sixtieth of death. It's technically death. It's one-sixtieth of death. So the fact that the nashama comes back, already we should say thank you. But Chazal says that's not the reason why you say thank you. When you say "modeani," you say "modeani." Hashem, uh, uh, "modeani lefanecha melech hay v'kayam." Shechzar tavi nishmati bchemla rabah emunaticha. Bchemla rabah, meaning in essence, you had mercy on me, and you had emunai me. Hashem had mercy and emunai me. Why? So the sages explain. That every time you go to sleep, your neshama goes to shamayim And tells Hashem, Hashem, today he stole. Today he ate non-kosher. Today he looked at a girl who wasn't his. Today he did this. Today he tells on you. Hashem, look what he did. This rasha, look what he did. Today he ate this. He did this. He overcharged. He d- 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 complains against you. Why is he complaining against you? It's supposed to be partners. There's no... It says, says to Hashem, Hashem, I don't want to go back. Neshama goes to Shemaim and it says, I don't want to go back. Look, look, he's warning me. I was pure. I'm part of you, Hashem. I was pure, I was clean, I was perfect. You put me in his body, look what he's doing to me. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. Hashem says, you have to. You have to go back. But Hashem, I don't want to. Because you have to go back because today I have a munah. Today he's going to do chuva. That's why you say emunah. and moderni, it's not the emunah you have in Hashem. It's the emunah that Hashem has in you. Today he's going to do tshuva. Today's the day he's going to eat kosher finally. Today's the day he's going to watch his eyes finally. Today's the day he's going to wake up on time go pray with Minyan. Today's the day he's going to actually learn Torah instead of looking at uh, Sports Illustrated or some nonsense magazine. Today he's going to do tshuva. I have a munah in him today. He knows that you're not going to do because he knows the future. But he has a munah. Maybe it's going to change. Maybe you're going to change. Maybe you're going to overcome your yetzirah. He has a munah. But the neshama doesn't want to go back. So when the neshama finally is forced to come back in you, you say thank you for that. Thank you for forcing her to come back. Because without her, I'm nothing. I'm just a piece of meat. You understand? So now, when a person knows that the Torah was only brought to this world to connect to us, to make, to remove it from being theoretical, to remove it from being unpracticable, he knows that deed, deed is more important than learning. Doing. Gemara Masichet Kidushin says what's more important. Learning versus action. They define it as learning that leads to action. Which in essence means action. Why? Learning by itself. It was better off if we just learn and don't do. Hashem says it was better off if you didn't come to the world cloud Just doing with no learning, you're going to be a kofir. All the people that are not religious are just doing whatever they want. They don't know what they're doing. They think that they're pleasing Hashem. Every Jew in the world, even if the atheist said, no, Hashem loves me. If there's a God, He loves me. Why? I heard somebody says, All of Israel that is a world to come. So if there's a God, the atheist says, He loves me anyway. Yeah, but you don't believe in Him. Yeah, but He loves me anyway because somebody said it. He had a beard. He had a hat. And he looked religious. I thought he was a rabbi. So people assume that they're okay. Everything's okay. I can do whatever I want and I'm going to be okay. Just doing, 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 stealing. It's okay because I'm stealing from the rich. I'm giving to the poor. Who's the poor? I'm the poor. I was poor, now I'm rich. See, I did a mitzvah flawed logic. People that have flawed logic will destroy the world. And in essence, the Gemara is saying, if you learn in order to do, that's the ideal situation. That's what the Gemara says is supposed to be doing. Because just doing by itself, you'll do something wrong. People say, no, no, I've been keeping Shabbat for five years. I said, okay, did you learn Alachot Shabbat? No, I just know, I don't have to learn, you know, light electricity, Don't drive in a car, don't smoke a cigarette, go to synagogue, pray, eat, everything's good. I said, yes, in theory that sounds good. But most likely, if you haven't followed and learned all of Halachot Shabbat, it's a hundred percent chance you're violating Shabbat. Not not a small chance, not a 90% chance, not even a 50%, nothing. A hundred percent chance you're violating Shabbat. Why? Simple things. Simple things that you do that you don't realize are not allowed on Shabbat. For example, when I first uh, started keeping Shabbat, at least I thought I was keeping Shabbat like I was supposed to, I thought as part of my own Shabbat, I'm going to make sauce fresh on Shabbat by taking tomatoes and grinding them on Shabbat to make nice fresh tomato sauce on Shabbat. Later on, when I started learning Allah Shabbat, I realized, hey, I'm violating Shabbat by grinding the tomato. You're not allowed to grind. Later on, you start realizing, hey, Fine, this is not allowed, so you don't grind tomatoes, fine. Later on you start learning, you start learning, you start learning. Oh, wait a minute, every Shabbat I eat, let's say, I'm just giving you a theoretical example, I eat pistachios. Now if you eat pistachios and you're taking the peel and throwing it in one bucket and eat the pistachio that way, you are violating Shabbat, it's called borel. You're not allowed to separate the waste from the good. So how do you eat pistachios? You have to put some good pistachios in the waste. In the little uh, little bowl that you put in the waste in, put a few good pistachios in there. Or some people say, no, listen, I want a clean house. I don't want to have dirty dishes everywhere. So women wash their dishes. How do they wash their dishes? They know they can't use the, the, uh, the dishwasher. Right? They know they can't use their dishwasher. So that they know. No problem. But they wash it with hot water. They wash the they wash the dishes with hot water because hot water makes the dirt of the dishes come out. It's violating Shabbat. You're cooking. Okay, they stopped. Stop using hot water. Now they're just using cold water, which is a little annoying. So they use gloves and a sponge, and they clean it that way. Problem again. Why the sponge? You're not allowed to use the sponge. The sponge is sucking the water. Is absorbing the water. You. Not allowed to do that. You have to use a type of sponge. It's not really a sponge. It's more of like a. Uh, has holes in it. It's like a net. So you see, just these handful of simple things that means pretty much you have most of the people out there violating one of them. If you don't learn halachot Shabbat, you're violating Shabbat. This is not me saying it. It's Chazal saying it. So the point is that. When a person knows that they need to learn and with the intention that this learning is going to lead to deed, we have a good we have a good strategy. Why? He says because even if you don't know much now, you're going to gain knowledge because Hashem is going to give you the siyat of Hashem is going to give you special help from heaven because you are taking whatever you know and you're implementing it. You're implementing it. So even when you make a mistake... It doesn't count against you to the same extent as if you did it without learning. In the Mishnah, in Avot, it says, if your mistake, that's Shoged, you made a mistake, you by accident violated Shabbat. Accidentally, you didn't know how, you didn't know that you weren't allowed to do one thing. Accidentally, you violated Shabbat. If it's because you didn't know, due to not learning, because you didn't feel like learning, You just didn't feel like you wanted to watch sports. You wanted to go work uh, extra long hours in your business. You wanted to go hang out with your friends. You wanted to do anything else. You didn't feel like learning. If it's because you didn't learn, then that unintentional sin turns to intentional. Why? Because you didn't learn intentionally. But if you made a mistake, you learned but you made a mistake because you haven't learned this yet, it stays mistake accidental sin so what does Hashem look at you like when you're a new Baal Tshuva or a new convert He looks at you like I look at my babies Hashem looks at you when you're a convert you're officially zero someone a student converted let's say six months ago now she's six months old she's not 30 years old like she thinks She's in Hashem's eyes she's six months old she's sometimes younger than our kids six months old Someone did tshuva, brand new baby, and Hashem's eyes, brand new baby, one year old, two years old, three years old, five years old, was a bunch of little babies running around, doing tshuva. Now, what happens if the baby, first time, baby Sarah got up, we were very excited. Two seconds later, she fell. Good, she had a cushion from the diaper. Then she got up again. We got excited, and she fell again. And she got up, fell. Got up, fell. Started taking a couple of steps, fell. Now, because she was only a year old, it's cute. We laughed. We we're enjoying it. We we're celebrating. It's the greatest thing in the world. He's seeing a little girl walking the first time. I can't wait to see Ovadia start running around. Already he's jumping around in the shower like he wants to go on a horse. So he starts seeing this little boy walking. It's gonna be the greatest thing in all. Why? Because he's five months old now. She's two years old. They're tiny little babies. They walk, they run, they say a word. It's the greatest thing in the world. That's the Baal Tshuva. When you fall, it's cute to Ah, oh, Look at my son. Look, he just violated shabbat, and he has no idea. It's so cute. But he's learning. He's going to get to it. It's another 20 pages in his book. The book that he's reading, it's 20 more pages. He's going to learn that today he violated shabbat. But to me, it's cute now. Why is he cute? Because he's a baby. Baby doesn't know better. He's cute. But if he's an adult... 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and he starts falling on his buds. like, hey, hey, oh, you drunk? Something wrong with you? Are you high? Go get yourself together. Stop falling all over my kitchen, all over my living room. You understand? When someone knows and still violates Shabbat, Hashem doesn't look into it as cute. It's not cute at all. When Hashem sees someone that has a beard and a hat, someone that's already been learning Torah most of their life, waste seed, it's not cute at all. When someone has been learning Torah for many years and still looks at women that are not His wife, it's not cute at all. When someone has been going to the Bet Knesset for 5, 10, 20 years and is still driving on Shabbat, there's nothing cute about it. Zero. Zero cuteness. Why? By now you should have known you're not allowed to learn to drive on Shabbat. You drove on Shabbat to the Bed Knesset for 5, 10, 20 years and you still think it's cute. There's nothing cute about it. But if you're brand new, you started doing Shabbat, you started keeping Shabbat now, it doesn't matter what age you are. You're a baby. Why? Because this Mishnah is telling you, your deeds are exceeding your wisdom. Hashem knows you don't know. But you're trying your best. You're trying your best, it's good, it's great. Because when someone implements the Torah and does everything they can to fulfill the Torah, he says no kofer can take him down. He's like a tree with not many leaves because he doesn't have much knowledge, but he has good roots. What's his roots? His roots is Yirat shamayim. His roots is a good foundation. He wants to fulfill Hashem's will. Why? Because he has good roots. The roots are the The roots are based on something good. It's something realistic. Rabbi Yisrael has started the, 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 the Musar movement a couple of hundred years ago. And already in his book he says, the spiritual disease continues to grow. And there's not enough doctors. And the reason why there's not enough doctors for the spiritual disease is simply because there's only one medicine. The medicine is Musar to teach Niraat shamayim, Musar to teach fear of the Almighty. Because once a person fears the Almighty, Hashem Himself says, he'll stop sinning. Once he's afraid of me, he'll stop sinning, and this is why the, 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 all of the sages. Just give you a few a few examples. In chapter five of uh, Olisay, this is what the sages said. In his work Yarout Dvash, Rabbi Yonatan Eibishtz, the author of Urim and Tumim, he says the main thing that everyone whether it's a Torah scholar or a layman, both men and women must study one page of Musar Sefer every single day. Each person should choose a work that is appropriate for his station and level, whether it's Shlach or later languages. And he says, At this time, I am personally taking it upon myself. Bli This is Rabbi Yonatan Haibish, one of the G'doleh Adol. (laughs) I'm taking it upon myself to study Musa with both my students and the laymen in the community every day. Before starting every class in Gemara, in Chumash, in anything, I will review with them a page of Shlach Kadosh from his lessons of rebuking and reproofing people. This way the students will be neither devoid of fear of Hashem nor gravitate towards worldly desires. One who learns from these books each day will comprehend the serious sins that he committed and the evil deeds that he perpetrated. The word of Hashem will make him shake and quiver so that he will turn away from evil and do good. This is previous generations. This is not 500 years ago. In the Mesilat Yesharim, the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, says: Without such study, without Yirat Shamayim, it will be impossible for a man to stop the flood of disturbing thoughts that fill his mind with vanities of the world. There is no man who, on his own accord, turns his heart away from sin. So, in the uh, in Chapter Four of the Ramchal of uh, the famous work of uh, Mesilat Yesharim. He says, one should engage in contemplation of fear and musar for at least one hour per day. This is Rabbi Chaim Moshe Luzato. 300 years ago, he says every person needs to contemplate about the punishment from heaven, the fear of heaven, for an hour a day. He himself has to do it for an hour a day. Us, we should do it 24 hours. If he does it for an hour a day, he had Ruch kodesh. we should do it for 24 hours. Moving on, go to Vilna Gaon. Everyone quotes these in every lecture. Everyone, co- Every single rabbi quotes these rabbis. Rabi Anotanai Bishitz, Ramchal, Vilna Gaon. Everybody quotes it. Just this part they don't quote. So I'll do it for you. The Vilna Gaon says, studies of Musar few times each day is a must. In his famous letter, Alim letrufa. He wrote this letter to his family. He says, "Amongst the books in my library is Sefer Mishlei with translations into the vernacular. Also, he has Sefer Kohelet and other Musar books. I also include my son-in-law in his exhortations. It is important to learn Pirkei Avot, and in particular." with the Midrash of, uh, of uh, Avot Rabi Natan, as well as Masechet Derech Eretz, for our sages tell us that Derech Eretz, which means proper conduct like we learned today, precedes the Torah. So yesterday, in essence, he says, without proper conduct, there's no way that the Torah is going to go through your veins. There's no way that your Torah is going to get to your heart. How do you learn proper conduct? Learning what the consequences are. The Chida. Chida, Rabbi Chaim, David Azulay. He writes in his book, Birkei Yosef, it's proper to set a fixed time for Musar study for the greater the man, the greater the evil inclination. Rabbi Yaakov Lissa, the author of Chavadash, Adat, he says, I adjure you today to set a fixed time every day for Musar study for in the multitude of our sins, our hearts have become stoned. And only through Musar is the heart softened. Only through Musar. Now, the one that shook me the most is these next It's actually two that shook me the most is these next two. Rabbi Chaim volozhner uh, lived in the uh, late 1700s. And he writes in uh, his famous work, Nefesh HaChaim, he says, before engaging in Torah study, before you start learning your Torah, it's critical to get yourself in a ready fashion, meaning mentally ready, to study Torah. How do you get it? With a pure heart and fear of heaven, let him ponder his creator for a moment. By doing so you will be removed he will be moved and repent for his transgressions and be pu- become purified a person may may briefly stop his Torah studies for this purpose so that the fear of God that be accepted at the beginning of his study will not be extinguished from his heart in that interlude in that break let him contemplate a new fear of heaven for all of these rabbis that say, no, no, you shouldn't be scared of God, you shouldn't be scared of God, the Torah is teaching us quite the opposite and the sages even more so. They say it's a prerequisite to learning Torah. It's a prerequisite to Judaism. Shlomo HaMelech says, Reshit Yirat Hashem, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. Rav Alexander Siskind, in Yesod he says, studying Musar on a continual basis will help implant wondrous pleasures of heavenly fear within a person's heart. And the fear of Hashem will thereby be increased. So here he's telling us, you actually having fear of God is a pleasure. Because it's reality. It's a real connection. A real connection with Hashem Barach. is the greatest thing you could possibly have. So he says, it's clear that man has an obligation to investigate and comprehend the judgment and punishment of the upper world. And all of this is found in the works of fear Musar, meaning you have to every day think about what happens in Shemaim when someone sins. And he says, it's an obligation to think about that. It's not something that's far away, not allowed, not for you, I'm not ready. No, no. He says you actually have to do it. That's the way you purify your soul. That's the way you build a good foundation with real roots. Where if some kofel comes to you and asks you a question or throws some argument at you, you don't just leave the religion because you don't have the answer. Like some people do. They don't get an answer, so they leave Judaism because of that. Or they see some guy with a beard going against the shems and say, oh, so the whole thing is fake. The reality of it is the people that fall off, it's because they never had a good foundation. They had no roots. The Arizal stro- uh, strongly adjured every person to study uh, books of fear and musar on a daily basis. And he stressed that you are not allowed to skip it even for a single day. The Khatam sofer would start every single one of his shiurim with Musa, every single every single shiur he ever did, he would start it with Musar. He specifically focused on Chovot Levavot. And the one that really shook me up was what Rav Avraham Denzig said. He lived also in the late 1700s. He was a major posek, meaning he decreed laws. He translated our Gemara, our Rambams, our Shulchan and applied it to our life. He was a posek. Look to certain halachot and so on. The Kitsur Shulchan Aruch by Rav Shlomo uh, Gensfried is based on his rulings. Just to explain to you how much of a giant he was. He was one of the three biggest poskim in that generation, or in several generations. And the Kitsur Shulchan Aruch was based on his rulings. He was one of the main poskim that the rulings are based on. And he writes in an Alacha book. This is not a Musar book in a book about the laws of judaism specifically talking about yom kippur he says it's elementary meaning obvious that each and every person has an absolute obligation to study the works of heavenly fear daily whether a little or a lot this is imperative this imperative is greater than all of the other obligations to study torah even if such daily study is gonna take time away from other studying, he's not allowed to skip Musar. Even if it gets to a point where he doesn't study Gemara, he doesn't study uh, Chumash, he doesn't study other parts of the Torah, but he studies Musar, you did good. But if you're studying Gemara, Musar, everything else, you're not studying Musar, no good. It's Allah book. He says... If there is no fear, there is no Torah. And last but not least, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote the Shuchan Aruch. In Magid Mesharim, it's written by him, the Bet Yosef, and he says in the book that he was an angel. An angel would come from Shamaim and learn with him. We can't even draw an angel. He had an angel study with him, Chavuta. You understand what we're dealing with here? Yeah. An angel. Angel from Shamain, Stopped what he was doing. Came to Rabbi Yosef Karo, who only thought about Torah day and night. he studied with him chavutah Like we're studying right now, he studied with him chavutah Every day. So he writes in his journal everything that happens to him every day. What the angel teach him, what he say, what he do, ta-ta-ta. And he writes in a journal, the angel rebuked me today. He says, why didn't you study Musar today? The angel from Shemaim came to him and rebuked Rabbi Yosef Kabul. Azroch HaKodesh. Rebuked him, why didn't you study enough Musar today? Do you understand? So anytime you hear different places that tell you, no, no, we don't do rebuke, we don't do musar, we don't do that, you tell them, you don't do Torah either then. Because musar is Torah. Because that's the part that builds you the roots. That's where you have the roots. Because the kofir is gonna come to you. The kofir is gonna come to you at some point in your life. You tell you, why are you not driving on Shabbat? Show me in the Torah, it says don't drive on Shabbat. Show me. Where does it say car in in the Torah? Where does it say you have to grow a beard in the Torah? Where does it say you have to lay tefillin that are black in the Torah? Where does it say this? Where does it say that? Now, if you're not, you're not going to know all the answers. As a matter of fact, there's a situation right now that was brought to my attention. A guy started doing tshuva recently, I don't know, a year, two years, three years, whatever he did. And some kuffer came to him and says, listen, he started throwing some questions at him. And the guy didn't know the answers. He's like, don't worry, but I'm gonna bring my rabbi with you. We're gonna meet you, you can ask me questions, he's gonna know. The rabbi's gonna know. So he goes to this guy's office with a rabbi. But the guy is a professional kufir. Meaning he's a problem, he's a serious problem. So, unless you're trained to know how to deal with these people, unless you train specific subjects, not just gemara. Not just a uh, basic Mishnah. Not just basic alacha. You need to know serious, serious stuff to know how to deal with a Kufel. As a matter of fact, a Rambam says you must learn enough to deal with a Kufel. To deal with a heretic. Why? If the heretic comes, you're responsible. Now this Rabbi, and this young student, they go to this guy's office, which is Mamas, like going to the lion's den. They underestimated him. I know who the guy is. Unfortunately, he used to be a Kiruv rabbi who just decided that after a bunch of people embarrassed him, his ego was hurt. So he decided to go against the Torah now. It's not because of the Torah. It's because of him and his ego. But anyway, so now what he tries to do is make other people leave the Torah. And he gives them questions that only someone that's trained can answer. So the guy's sitting in his office. He's asking them questions, which are serious, serious questions. They don't have answers. And the rabbi says, I didn't study this stuff. So now the student who doesn't know that... most guys look at rabbis as Moses. Young guys, young girls, they look at every rabbi like they know everything. You don't know what he you know. They don't know what Torah is. They don't know what Gmarah is. They don't know what Tosfot is. They don't know Gash. You don't know anything. You just think the guy is a rabbi, he knows everything. They don't know this. The Torah is an endless ocean. Not every rabbi knows everything. Not every rabbi knows the same thing. So now, this rabbi wasn't trained to deal with a kofel. He looks foolish and it becomes a chilul Hashem, and they both leave empty handed. And now the kid is in trouble because now he's thinking, maybe this, maybe this. Now he's got safik in his eye, in his head. Why does he have safik? Why does he have safik in the first place? Why is he even in this position to even question anything? It's not because of the kofil. It's not because of the kufir. No, Don't let that. Go into your mind for a moment that he has questions about Judaism because of the kofer. It's not because of the kofer. It's because of the rabbi. Why? Because the rabbi did not train him well. If he trained him well, he would train him with Yirat shamayim. You have Yirat shamayim. you don't go to the office of a kofer. The fact that the rabbi went with him to the office of the kofer means they both have problems. Not just a kuffer. Because when you have a good foundation of Yerat shamayim, you know that one of the most important obligations in the Torah is not to put yourself in jeopardy. Who do you think you are you're going in front of the kuffer? Unless you're trained. Unless you're specifically trained in it. Who do you think you are putting yourself in danger? Putting Am Yisrael in danger? Putting yourself in danger? Who do you think you are? Go deal with a kuffer? You know what it is? Who do you think you are? You're going to go talk to a missionary. Think that you could debate them? Everybody wants to debate now. Everybody wants to be a famous debater. No, let's debate. They send me letters. They send me comments. Oh, I want to debate you. Debate me about what? Do you know one plus one? Good. At least you know something. The rest of it, you say, is to Everybody wants to be a famous debater. You can't just put yourself in danger for no reason. Everybody wants to debate Christians now all of a sudden. Do Am Yisrael a favor. Don't debate anyone. Debate the Gemara. Debate the Torah. Debate your Yetzirah. Don't debate anyone unless you're a serious, serious professional. You know the whole book by heart. You know the entire Torah by heart. You know the entire Gemara by heart. You know the entire Torah, not theirs. Not their garbage. Our Torah. Because then you have your
1: Everybody
0: wants to be a famous debater. The guy just started keeping Shabbat two, three years ago wants to be a debater. What debater? Who are you debating? So here he tells you why all of this is happening. It's not because of the kofir. It's not because of the missionary. It's not because of all these things. It's because of us. We have a flawed system right now. Because the system is no longer the system we got from Mount Sinai. The system we got from Mount Sinai says the first thing you need to build on is Yerat As soon as you steer away from that, you have a problem. You have a very, very serious problem. And to finalize this point, I'll give you a little chidus. I know you guys like Parashat Shavua. So Parashat Ekev. Parashat Ekev also connects to this Mishnah. Also. Well, the says Ekev, Ekev means reward. The Parashat starts, this will be the reward when you hearken these ordinances, you you have you follow the laws. This is the reward. So ekev is what Hashem wants to give you. Now, the word ekev is made out of three letters: ayin, kuf, bet. Ayin, kuf, bet. How do you to, work, to write out the the actual each letter? Meaning ayin, spell out the word ayin, which is ayin yud nun. And kuf, kuf, vav, pay, And uh, bet, uh, bet, yud, tough. So when you spell it out, you get a few secrets within the word ekiv. Ekiv, first of all, is the reward that Hashem wants to give you. If you take out the middle letter of each one of the letters, if you spell out the letters, you get yud, vav, yud. Numerical value, total, 26. What's 26? God, yud hei vav and hei, is the same as a total twenty six. Yud vav and yud also twenty six. Next, if you take the last letter of each one of the letters, which is nun, pei, and Taf, you get natsrut, philosophy, and desires Tavot. So here you have the chidush. The reward is what Hashem wants to give you. But what's going to stop this reward? The three biggest dangers we face now. Natsrut is Christianity. Philosophy is this modern style mentality. Everybody wants to be a philosopher, a debater, a modernizer, and all this scientist stuff that goes against the Torah. And last but not least, the most difficult of all, your desires. Your desires. You can't control your desire and your love for money, you're never going to finish your chuba. You can't control your desire and your lust for women, you're never going to finish your tshuva. You can't control your desire for all types of bad character traits, you're never going to finish your tshuva. You hang out with philosophers, you're never going to do tshuva. You hang out with missionaries and Christians, you're never going to do tshuva. You don't do tshuva, you can't connect to Hashemit Itbarach. You don't connect to Hashemit Itbarach, you can't reward Pashat Ekev. How can we actually undo all of this? We have to make sure that we have a good foundation. We have good foundation means that foundation starts with Yerat Shamayim. First, understand who you're dealing with. Once you know who you're dealing with, you already have fear. You already have basic level fear. That basic level fear is going to lead you to do. Once your actions exceed your knowledge, Hashem will give you extra help to continue growing, continue doing better. You're already connecting with him. Once you get to that point, he'll protect you from these koflim. He'll protect you from all these other things that are going to try to get away, try to just change your direction. Because you have a real connection. What's your question? Ekeb is also uncle, no? Hmm? Ekeb is
1: uncle
0: too? Ekeb is uncle? Ankle, 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 yes. Ekeb is uncle, ankle. Yes, so Rashi actually gives the uh, The uh, commentary on it He says that the um, Mitzvot, in essence, are the, like the ankle Meaning it's the foundation You have to do the Mitzvot In order for you to have a good foundation okay. The Mitzvot is what gives you The uh, connection to Hashem baruch. Mm-hmm. Just like if somebody doesn't have any ankles Can't stand Oh heels, heels, heels not uh, yeah. not uh, yeah. ankle, heel. Yeah, oh, heel, heel, yeah. Heel. yeah. yeah. Next. Did anybody else ask questions online? I think somebody asked a question. Do, 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 do. Let me see. Yeah. Right. Is there a sefer you recommend learning Ilchot Shabbat? Yes, Yalkut Yosef. Yalkut Yosef is in English learn it there's a uh, it goes over uh, most of the uh, laws the The section of Shabbat is completed it's three books it's Yakut Yosef if you're a Sephardi um, that's the uh, but also they cover also Ashkenazi rules too so Yakut Yosef is the best one for Halachot Shabbat uh, let's see who else asked questions so right Can't Stand Cafeteria okay Cafeteria Judaism is funny Uh, any other questions let's see hold on I'm going to the beginning Uh, Mm -hmm. we did that already Pekat Amazon in English is available you can get it in apps there are apps you get the Sidur app uh, for free on your phone you get Pekat Amazon in English in Hebrew and Russian in different languages At the times of the temple, how many times a day did people pray? Three times. Three times a day, that's what every korban was representing one of the prayers. The uh, prayers come from Shachrit, came from Avraham Avinu. Mincha came from Yitzhak Avinu. And arvit came from Yaakov Avinu. Uh, Gemara lists 48 cases where tshuva is not accepted yes one of the most important ones to know is someone that's a someone that causes other people to sin is tshuva is not accepted but it doesn't mean he doesn't accept it. way he can't do tshuva it just means that there's no seattle ishma there's no help from heaven for them to do tshuva uh who do you know that keeps all of the torah who do i know that keeps all of the torah I know people that try to keep the whole Torah, and that's what we get paid for. We get paid for trying our best. How can I have a true belief in Hashem if I haven't experienced revealed miracles like Mitzrayim and the great Sadiqim are are, uh, not around? Uh, You don't need miracles in order to believe in God. If you look at the mirror, that's a miracle, simply because you have balloons or something that's even thinner than a balloon, that's better than any camera in the world, that's telling you what's in front of you. It's called your eyes. And that eye is looking at something that was made out of sand, called glass. You take sand, you heat it up a few thousand degrees, you add a couple of chemicals to it, you make it glass. Now what's the difference between glass and a mirror? One time there was a rich guy, and he wasn't always so rich. He used to be Tamit Chacham. He used to be, he learned some Torah. All of a sudden he left. He went to the business world. He started making some money. He started doing well. In the beginning he gave staka. Eventually he started making big money. He stopped giving staka. So one time his rabbi comes to him. And he says, ah, I want to be ok. Oh, thank you for coming. How are you? How are you? How are you? And he takes him to the glass. To uh, He takes him to the window. And he says, what do you see? He goes, I see people. I see this. I see that. And he says, okay, look at that way. What do you see? I see myself in the mirror. He goes, what's the difference between the glass in the mirror and the glass on the window? He says, I don't know. They're both glass. He goes, the only difference is kesef. Kesef means silver. In order, they're both glass. But what separates the two is that the one, what makes the glass into a mirror is that there is, that there is silver in front of it. But kesef also means money. He says, before, you had a lot of money, you saw everything clearly. You saw the other side of the street, you saw people, you saw the world around you. As soon as you have some money, you only look at yourself. You understand? So if you see yourself in a mirror, it's already a miracle, and there's plenty other miracles that you can see if you just pay attention. Uh thank God for the truth. Okay, Oh Hashem, thank you for coming. Um, also, then, uh, okay, so uh, eighty-three others. I think that's it as far as questions. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. You guys have any questions? Did I answer all the questions that you asked in the beginning of the lecture? Uh, Kobanot, yeah, Moses. Beard, the beard, Moses. Yeah, the difference
1: between the, difference between? the, 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 the Ten Commandments. Ah,
0: yeah. ah, okay. So the Ten Commandments difference is very simple. It's actually the simplest uh, thing is that there is additional laws that we learn from the way Hashem writes the Torah. Hashem writes the Torah not like we write a book. Hashem writes the Torah in specific language where he uses certain letters to spell a certain word and then in a different place he'll spell the same word in a different way. And the sages had enough wisdom that was heavenly wisdom that Hashem gave them that they were able to translate new laws sometimes even from a simple letter. A certain letter that was spelled differently. So to give you an example... Um, a uh, sometimes you have a uh, law that's implemented from if they add the word "o." "O" means "or." If it means "or," then it includes a lot of things. But if they didn't put "o," then it just means that thing specifically. Just adding just two simple letters changes everything. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to always remind people is that. Learning Torah is not like learning anything else. If you're learning Torah really, not if you're just learning Torah like you're learning a, a history book, then it's a waste of time. But uh, you're better off not learning because it will go against you. But if you learn Torah and you learn Musar, you learn how to implement certain things, then you could literally get to a point where you could improve yourself to such a high degree that you become a much better human being because the Torah is the most ethical document ever written. It's the most ethical religion ever that ever existed. To such an extent, the Nagmara Masechet Shabbat, in, um, I believe it's page 23, 23, yeah, 23, it gives you the laws of Pe'ah. Pe'ah means wig, but it doesn't mean wig here. Pe'ah means the end of the field. And in the end of a field, everyone that had a field, and they would plant and so on, they were obligated to give the end of the field to the poor. So there's laws in the Gemara about how to give money to the poor. When to give it. So now the Gemara specifically says, you must give the end of the field at the end. So the question naturally is, why can't I give it at the beginning? Why can't I give it in the middle? Why can't I just give this? I'm already giving to the guy. Why are you telling me when to give staka? to the guy? You're tell me when to give to the guy. I'm giving the money. I should call the shots. Right? That's what we think. We think I'm gonna buy an aliyah in Yom Kippur. I'm gonna buy an aliyah in uh, Rosh Hashanah. I'm gonna donate money. I'm gonna say I'm gonna donate money to the Beit But I'm gonna pay whatever I want. Don't tell me when to pay. I'm gonna pay whatever I want. Why? I'm giving the money. The one that's the owner of the hundred is the owner of the opinion. This is against the Torah. One of the ways we learn learn that, we learn it from the laws of peah. The laws of Pea tell us that you must give the end of the field, the part that's you're obligated to give to the poor, at the end. Why at the end? There's several different reasons. There's four different reasons. One of the main reasons is that the poor need to know exactly when they're going to get their money. So you don't waste their time. So they're not just sitting there, idly doing nothing. Just because he's poor, doesn't mean you're allowed to waste his time. Just because he's poor, does not mean you're allowed to waste his time. Even though you're giving staka. In Shemaim they say, you're not giving anything. You're giving my money. Hashem said, It's my money. Leah Kesav, Leah you're not giving anything. You're just delivering what I gave. So you're giving it, I gave it to you, you're going to give it to my son. You're not allowed to waste his time. You have to give it to him, he needs to know when he's going to get it. So this is very important for people. The holidays are coming up. They like to say they're going to donate to synagogues and to this and to that. Or people tell me, I'm going to donate to Bezat the Shen. I'm going to donate to this. I'm going to donate. People make a lot of promises. I'm going to donate, I'm going to donate, I'm going to donate. And they figure, you know what? If I'm already going to donate, I'll donate whenever I feel like it. Who is he going to tell me when, when to donate? You should know. You're not allowed to do that. You cannot make people wait. You can't waste people's time. You can't waste people's time. This is very, very important to know. Because again, a lot of people, for whatever reason or another, they feel like their time is the only time that's valuable. No one else's time is valuable. There's other reasons of why the laws of Peah show the ethics of Judaism, but here you see how Hashem treats the poor. He treats them with even higher level of respect than the rich. There's no law that says you're not allowed to waste the time of a rich person. I mean, you're obviously not allowed to do it. It's called the homel But in general, here you have specific law saying you're not allowed to waste the time of the poor, which is the one person that everybody thinks you could just do whatever you want with them, like he's a duffel bag or something. Just because he's poor. He goes, no, no, no. There's a specific law that says you have to treat him with honor. You have to treat him with honor. So there's no religion in the world. Not Islam, not Christianity, not Buddhism, not nothing. No religion in the world that actually has laws protecting the poor. And I'm not talking about protecting the poor being alive. I'm talking about protecting the honor of the poor. The honor of the poor. No religion has roles to protect the honor of the rich even. Here we have, in the Torah, we have laws to protect the honor of the poor. If that's not divine, what is? Only something divine would do such a thing. Because humans don't think like that. Humans don't think, I need to protect the honor of the poor. You understand? This is the beauty of Judaism when you dig deep down in it. And this is page 23 in the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat. But people, most people don't learn Masechet Shabbat right away. They learn Baruchot, they learn Ta'amid, they learn other things. So it may be a few years before you get to Shabbat, but it's there. The deeper you go into Torah, the more beautiful you see it is. And that's why when someone goes against the Torah, it's only because of either his desires or his ignorance. It's never because of the Torah. Never. So please remember, Torah is divine, all the answers to all your questions, doesn't matter what questions you have, you can connect them to any part of the Torah. That's, that's, that's what makes it divine. And since we already know it's divine, remember, thank Hashem every day, you have a Sher you have Birkat Hamazon, you have learning Torah, you have learning Musar. If you have to pick Musar or anything else, you have to pick Musar. Because Musar is going to allow you to fix your inner wirings to such an extent where you're going to find more time to learn everything else. Whereas if you learn everything else, you're always going to find an excuse of why you can't learn Musar. Musar is going to make time for other things. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen, be amen
1: Thank you very much.